0: Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And we have finally made it. After a hundred and blue episodes, we have have reached the end of Jim Starlin's epic in the 70s with Warlock and Thanos. The Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 2 from 1977, which closes out their story for a little over the next decade. And to join me for this momentous event, we have two guests and if you listen to last episode you probably have a good idea who they are so we have back brian hey brian hello and john hey john hi john
1: i have a question okay why is john here because as i recall last episode my guy thanos killed his guy adam adam is dead adam is gone
2: well let's just say turnabout's fair play okay (laughs) i'm on the cover so i get to get uh, the comic gets to be bought
1: no, oh, I I, I say okay, fine. We'll yeah. we'll we'll allow it. We'll allow it.
2: Plus, John, I'm taking, I'm like
1: taking on it. the I'm taking on the the qualities of Thanos as the uh, podcast goes on. So actually,
2: uh, what what we should do is I should just stay silent the entire time and <laughs> pop out in the last five minutes and bring <laughs> yeah. all the whole conversation together. And then yes, leave that again.
1: would that would be thematically good, but I don't think okay. that would actually be a very productive use of your Saturday evening, John. So. Uh,
2: well, right. we're not having
0: it's not so much Warlock John that's here, it's Spider-Man John that's here.
1: Oh. Oh. And that I is get, actually, yeah. I get to wear two hats. Yes. Or masks as the case may be. <gasps> it's hard to like breathe one. And it's actually very appropriate then because because not not to leap too far ahead or jump too many hurdles uh, early in the episode, but as far as I'm concerned functionally this uh, comic that we're about to discuss is a spider-man comic more than anything else so
0: oh, yeah i agree completely Which anyway is, but we'll get there yes we'll get there and in fact before we get there let's tell everyone what's going on there so hold on and here's the synopsis marvel two-in-one annual number two death watch writer jim starlin artist jim starlin breakdowns and joe Rubinstein unfinished art colors petra goldberg Letters, Annette Kawaki. Editor, Archie Goodwin. Cover art by Jim Starlin and John Costanza. Cover price, 60 cents. Cover dated, 1977. On sale date, September 20th, 1977. You can find this reprinted in Unaventure de Langre number 10, a 1980 French reprint. Marvel Comics Stars, number 13, a 1981 German reprint. Warlock number six, a 1982 reprint miniseries, Strange Special Origins number 247, a 1990 French reprint, Warlock number six, a 1992 reprint miniseries of the 1982 reprint miniseries, Strange Special Origins number 304, a 1995 French reprint, Spider-Man Palag Med Spider-Man. I think that I pronounced that somewhat, sort of correctly. <laughs> A 2006 Norwegian reprint. I probably did not pronounce that anywhere near sort of correctly. Or even kind of sort of correctly. My apologies. Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 2 from 2007. Marvel Masterworks Warlock Volume 2 from 2009. Essential Warlock Volume 1 from 2012. Essential Avengers Volume 8 from 2012. Marvel Gold Warlock La Manzia de Thanos. A 2012 Spanish reprint. Avengers vs. Thanos, trade Paperback, from 2013. Avengers Epic Collection, Volume 9, The Final Threat, from 2013. Warlock by Jim Starlin, The Complete Collection, from 2014. Marvel Masterworks, Captain Marvel, Volume 5, from 2014. Marvel Gold, La Saga de Thanos, a 2018 Spanish reprint. There is also a 2018 Russian reprint, but it's all written in Cyrillic Russian writing, so I have no idea how to even pronounce it. And finally, Marvel Comics Digest number six, a 2018 reprint. We start in Peter Parker's bedroom at 3 a.m. He's dreaming about the events that happened in Avengers Annual 7, but then is revealed to Peter that this is not a dream, but a mental message for Moondragon. But before he wakes up, she tells him what happened next. When Thanos teleported away from Thor and Iron Man at the end of the Avengers Annual, he just went to his decoy ship where the other Avengers were. Under his leadership, his army was able to take out the team. He then used the weapons on his ship to blast Thor, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel as they were flying back, knocking them all out. He put all of his captives in stasis beams, keeping them immobile, and took the soul gem from the deceased Adam Warlock's forehead. With it, he get back to his plan to blow up our sun. Pete wakes up and heads off as Spider-Man to the Baxter building to get help from the Fantastic Four. While he's on his way, we see Order and Chaos discussing the events. They are playing against death. Death is using Thanos, and they are hoping that Spider-Man and the Thing will be enough to defeat him. At the Baxter Building, the only member of the FF home is Ben Grimm, the Thing. After some of the normal shenanigans, Spidey gives Ben the story, and the two head off in a new shuttlecraft designed by Reed Richards. They actually find Thanos' ship and take on his army, but are defeated by superior numbers. After a brief interlude, showing Adam, Gamora, and Pip happy in Soul World, we jump ahead to Spider-Man and the Thing waking up as Thanos' prisoners. While waiting for his thralls to set up stasis fields for the two of them, Thanos is killing time by showing them what he has planned, destroying the sun and the earth with it. All for death. The thing attempts to fight back, but is taken out with one blow. Realizing that he stands no chance, Spidey runs. As he tries to escape, he takes out members of Thanos' army that try to catch him. But during this time, he works through his panic attack. He realizes that there is no point in running if Thanos is able to destroy the earth. However, he can't stop him. But Thor might. And so he heads back to implement his new plan free Thor and hope he is able to stop Thanos. Watching Spider Man head back towards the fight is order and chaos. They were momentarily worried that Spider Man would fail them. But now he is back on track with the fate they have given him. Now, back where the captive Avengers are, Spider Man lurks above in the shadows. Unfortunately for him, Thanos is still there, and he can't find anything heavy he can grab quickly enough to throw out the machinery. To damage it and free Thor. So he uses the only thing handy himself and jumps into the stasis device severely damaging it, knocking himself out and awaking all of the captive avengers. The entire team plus the now awakened Thing attack Thanos. Thanos' army shows up to help their master and now most of the team is dealing with them while Thanos goes toe-to-toe with the Thing and Thor. However not even those two can defeat Thanos. The Thing is knocked out and Thor is soon to follow. Meanwhile, Spider-Man wakes up, and while groggy, something draws him towards Adam Warlock's soul gem, now encased in a glass globe. At the same time, in Soul World, Adam could feel some force calling him to leave his paradise for one final mission. Trying to make his way to the gem, Spider-Man is knocked on the head by one of Thanos' minions. Barely conscious, he still manages to swing his arms wildly about, until he knocks the globe off of its pedestal and frees the gem, which frees the spirit of Adam Warlock, back for one final mission. He grabs Thanos, and then a bright blast of light, he is gone, leaving the Mad Titan now turned to stone. Later on, the Avengers, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, and the Thing bury the bodies of Adam Warlock, Gamora, and Pip the Troll, while Thanos is left trapped in his unmoving stone form.
2: We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast coming October 31st. That was the
1: synopsis, and a synopsis of synopses it was. There's one so thing you y- say It was a
2: synopsis. You struck my curiosity. This is 1977. I was thinking, you know, Spider-Man has a team-up book. So what is it doing? Mm -hmm. But there was no Marvel team-up annual in 1977. There was one in 1976, and there will be one in 1979. And I don't know if this is – is this the era where they're doing giant size books? And so –
1: I don't think so. I think the giant size books were 74 and 75.
2: Okay. So those have been in the past. So yeah, um, this Marvel two and one is kind of, it's kind of like Spider-Man annual two where Ditko got to do Spider-Man and Dr. Strange.
1: Mm -hmm. It is basically Mm -hmm.
2: Spider-Man joining into a Dr. Strange story. This Mm -hmm. is, um, this is their two team up books teaming up together, but it does become more of a Spider-Man story than a thing story or anybody else.
1: Yeah. This is, This is really a Marvel team up annual more. I mean, it feels like a Marvel team up annual more than it feels like a Marvel two in one annual. But that's like, I mean, that's splitting hairs with the benefit of hindsight, I think.
0: Yeah, it feels like um, now it's been a while since I read this, but it feels like one of the issues of Secret Wars where like the focus is on Spider-Man. But everything else is still happening. Mm -hmm. But we're just focusing on Spider-Man with this, you know, everything going on around him. Because that's basically what's going on here. The whole Avengers, Warlock, Thanos thing is all going on. But we're kind of mostly focusing on Spidey. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And seeing his reaction to all of this, I mean, I can just imagine how WTF he feels. Because, I mean, he is sleeping, and he gets all of this stuff, like, beamed into his brain. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot to take in. And if you're a Spider-Man reader, and you just pick this book up because it has Spider-Man on the cover, it's a lot to take in at the beginning.
1: Oh, abso- absolutely. But, and, and, well, my primary thought, um, that I want to, that I want to put out is I a little worried looking at the cover because now this is me, the, uh, resurrections podcaster, uh, uh speaking and not the theoretical 1977 reader, but I'm worried going into this because, it's jim starlin it's i know going in that it is the grand finale of the marvel cosmic starlin verse epic that he's been spending the last five years basically uh spinning in various titles and i have clearly my brain has mistaken Jim Starlin, maybe this is a, a credit to him, maybe this is reflects well on what he's been up to, has, has mistaken him for Jack Kirby. You know how, like, Jack Kirby could be Jack Kirby, but he couldn't really do any, like, non-Kirby stuff in a natural style that fit those characters? Like, all he could be was Jack Kirby, So I'm sitting, which is not a knock on him, but it's like, you know, Kirby was great. Kirby did so much, but Kirby was Kirby. And I'm sitting here looking at this cover with Spider-Man on it and with the thing on it and thinking to myself, Those are two very different characters from the kinds of things that Jim Starlin has spent the last five years doing. Is he going to be able to present them in a way I will recognize? Spoiler, the answer turns out to be yes, because Jim Starlin is not Jack Kirby. And I mean that in a positive way. But um, that was like looking at the cover. That was my primary uh, concern was like, oh, my God, Starlin's going to try and do Spider-Man. I don't
2: think this is going to work. And it's possible that Rubenstein helped out a lot with that. Really? 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 The way the art credits are phrased, because it's Jim Starlin's on art, but Joe Rubinstein's on finished art.
1: Okay, well, and that was, yeah. that is often a thing. That is often a thing. And like the, the lines, I've as I've gotten older, I've come to realize the lines between penciler slash layout slash breakdown and inker slash finisher are much more fluid than I thought when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no exact definition i'm also talking about the writing i'm 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 also speaking about i'm used to him like captain marvel having you know cosmic awareness and tripping out you know as we get big flashbacks and trippy psychedelic ditko-esque uh sequences and i'm like i don't know if he can handle a quippy kind of vernacular type of character like ben Grimm or like uh spidey but uh, in fact he can
2: yeah, I think he does pretty well by Spider Man in this.
1: And then yeah. I'm, rem- and then I remember that he also did Batman in the '90s, so of course he can do this. I'm just being stupid. <laughs> so. yes. Well, that's in the future too.
0: So stuff you can do later on does not always reflect stuff you were able to do ten years before that.
1: Fair, fair.
0: <laughs> but not that I'm saying, I'm not that I'm arguing with you. I'm just pointing that part out. But and remember, he did do the thing in like I think it was the first or second issue of Captain Marvel. He did.
1: That's, that's true. That's true. And did he, re- I remember there was early in this Although saga, Friedrich there was the, thing was there it, was, there was, right. there was the, the two in one, I think it was a Marvel two in one where he met the blood brothers. Did it was Starlin the two do one that? precursors. Okay. And did Starlin do that? Uh, I believe he wrote it. He wrote it. So, okay. So he's handled the thing before. Um, yeah. So he's handled the thing. Cause I mean, Captain Marvel was Friedrich that was scripting
0: it. So he wasn't actually doing the dialogue. Oh, He was okay. just doing the story. Okay, well, he's but doing the dialogue here. If I am um, remember, I believe we talked to this last time from that Back Issue article where they said uh, <clears throat> when he left Marvel after everything ended and then Archie Goodwin was editor and invited him to do an annual and he did the Avengers one and basically had eno- enjoyed doing enough that he agreed to do one other one, which was the thing, which is why I believe we mentioned last time that the last issue ends, the last one, the Avengers annual, and could kind of be the end for now. I mean... Thanos just kind of gets away at the end. Right, it, right. It, but that's common for... To, yeah, it did not have to continue on right away. Because I looked it up, this one does come out a month after that one. Which could also possibly be the reason why he did more on the art for that one than this one. Because this one might have been a little less of a lead time to get done.
2: Well, that kind of explains some of the plot structure. Because he just like throws in a lot of connective <laughs> tissue and you know those... Ostensibly they're flashbacks, but they're more than just flashbacks. They also yeah. put the Avengers through a lot of stuff to put them into their stasis tubes. When we come to this issue,
1: right? Um, a lot happens off stage, so to speak.
2: Right. So he he comes up with a story for this annual and breaks it down and paces it out. And realizing that this is a Marvel two in one annual, he needs to get to his star and his co-star really quickly. So he throws all of this into, into Peter Parker's head, which is very much of the season. Because this comes out the same month as X-Men 108, which is the end of the big Xavier's Dream arc that was the whole first part of Claremont's run. So space dreams coming true is like a thing in this era. Oh, this, that's right. This will be about the same time. Yeah, you're right. I didn't realize that. I'm also
0: wondering, I guess it's because of Marvel 2 and 1 was the one that was free to do. So that's the thing. But the thing really, if he had Moondragon sent us to the thing, the thing could have just gotten on the ship and left he needed to have somebody who actually didn't have the ability to do that. So that kind of points to why Spider-Man kind of gets the first appearance. Right. And, and more focus on him originally.
1: But, and, and, and as I sort of alluded to earlier, uh, one of the nice things in hindsight about this is that he might have I think you're had saying, this, 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 is there Anything you said we didn't hear. Oh, <laughs> I heard um, you uh, did? yeah, no, huh. um, yeah, no, what I was saying is um, the the he, he might have had this preconceived story uh, set up and then realized later on that he had to include these other characters. To his credit, he leans into it, and mm-hmm. he brings them front and center, and the, I think the issue winds up better for it.
2: I think so, too. Yeah, And this is by far Spider-Man's most—I mean, this is his largest-scale uh, adventure— to date, yeah, oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely,
2: and, and I want to say it continues to be his largest scale adventure until Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. Except for I think he was also in Contest of Champions, but I don't really think about Contest of Champions that much.
1: No, yeah. nor should you. Nor should you. It is it is best ignored and not invited round to family gatherings.
0: Yeah. But even so, even though he was in there, he just kind of was there. He didn't actually participate, from what I remember. I don't think he was one of the people fighting, so. Okay. If, I mean, unless I'm wrong, but I don't think he was. So if that's the case, he just kind of was watching.
2: So, But yeah, so how do you all yeah, do the, this? We, we get all the flashbacks and the, the, the tissue, and then we get Spider-Man waking up saying, well, I'm going to believe that dream.
1: <laughs> I think I think that
2: was real.
0: It's kind of funny that Spider-Man believes this telepathic dream, but last last time in the Avengers annual the Beast, who has some slight experience dealing with telepaths, is like, "Oh, this is hogwash. What are you talking about?"
1: And not just not just um telepaths, but also cosmic scale threats and um, powers beyond human ken cuz don't forget I unless I'm I'm not sure of the timeline. Is this before or after the Korvac saga?
2: Um, I want to say a little bit before. I think Korvac oh, saga- okay. No, no, no. No, this is 77, and I stopped reading with my 77 Avengers. It's right around then.
1: Right. Yeah. So my point is, yeah, I, I actually found Hank's uh, skepticism in the Avengers annual kind of obnoxious, but... You know, this I, I thought I always th- I've been going through my comics readerhood thinking that I love wise guy 1970s Hank McCoy. And as I go back and I see him in various uh, collections that I've been revisiting, I realize I kind of don't. He's kind of a dick. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like Starlin wanted to have somebody
0: be the doubting Thomas role, so to speak. OK, but fair. the problem was, who was he going to use? Can't use Captain Marvel.
1: No, he that's true. Use,
0: he can't use Moondragon. Uh Iron Man has had too much experience with them. Thor, plenty of cosmic adventures, so really it's only Beast Vision, Wanda, or Cap.
2: Cap right. takes everything at face value until he has reason not to. Right. He's yeah. very, very literal.
0: <laughs> and also, I mean, Starlin has done Iron Man. I think he's worked on some Avenger stuff and other things, but I don't think at this point he because I think when he started, X-Men had been canceled. So I don't think he's worked on any X-Men stuff. So he might have just picked Hank because that was the character he probably had the least amount of interaction with as a creator.
2: Yeah, X-Men's only been back for like a year and a half at this point, And a lot of that time, there was no Warlock on the stands. So
0: yeah, so he really hasn't used any, you know, touched those characters. So that might have been why he picked that one because he's like, he'll do it. He's newer, right? He's no yeah. Avengers. So yeah, that's that sounds good. Yeah, no,
1: that's fair. That's that's totally fair.
0: But yeah, so Spidey heads off to, uh, the, to find the Baxter Building, and we get the whole thing with order and chaos.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fun. Them like talking about this whole thing while it's all happening is kind of interesting. It it adds even more like cosmic gravitas. It's kind of like. It's kind of like that bit in I think it's Civil War when Spider Man's like, yeah, don't worry, this isn't going to be that big a deal. Whenever it's that big a deal, the Watcher always shows up and he looks over his shoulder and there's the Watcher. He's like, oh, yeah. it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, so yeah, having
2: uh-oh. having ordering chaos here like adds weight.
1: Now my question is is this like is this the introduction of those two characters or have they been seen before? Because I this- lose track of I lose track of these cosmic level eternal type characters. I lose track of who brings them about and how.
0: I'm this is, the is their first right appearance. Now. I just did that. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is their first appearance.
1: Okay, so Starlin creates them for this story, because I remember encountering them the first time, I believe, uh, Roundabout Secret Wars 2.
2: I think the, um, the 90s Hawk and Dove series is when I first came across them.
0: Well, that's... Dead that's
1: joke. It's I was going I was going. I was. I was trying to work it through, and I was. I was actually sitting here going, "Was there a Marvel Hawk, Hawk and Dove series? Because
2: no, no. that sounds no, they, strangely they, 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 DCish." Order and Chaos is another thing. Yeah,
1: no. The they a, especially in the
0: eighties, the war between Order and Chaos was huge, and a lot of DC stuff. I mean, that's the whole thing of the Gray Man in the first six issues. Uh, six issues of the JLI series, and Amethyst, and Hawk and Dove, and Doctor Fate. Okay. I think the Spectre. So there was a lot of that going on in the late '80s at DC, except they didn't look like giant disembodied heads. Um,
1: well, you can't I, would, spend. I would like so, to. Uh, I would like to point out that I appreciate that Starlin decides, and and as John points out, this may be Reuben as much, Rubenstein as much as anything else. But I'm figuring, you know, Starlin had to choose to do it in his layouts as well. He leans into the house style for Spidey. I have of late been very. Like, I won't say obsessed, but paying a weird amount of attention to how in the 60s and 70s, Spider-Man's head is so round and featureless in the mask. Whereas when you get to the 90s and the tw- 21st century, they always make it much more head contoured, mm-hmm. um, which I like. I, I I'm I mean, I think my favorite Spider-Man artist ever, uh, unsurprisingly to people who've heard me talk about it before, is uh, John Romita Jr., back in the uh, uh, first uh, half or whatever of the Straczynski run. I know that, you know, John Romita Jr. and Ross Andrew and everyone doing Spidey in the 70s always had that sort of like perfectly uh, egg-shaped, smooth, relatively contourless head for Spidey when he was in the mask. And Starlin is definitely uh, using and leaning into that here. And uh, I'm fine with that. It's, it's, it's good. It definitely makes it an artifact of its time.
0: Speaking much of a real quick on Chaos and Order, so I'm just wondering now, how many of these cosmic characters has Starlin introduced? Because we know he did it the
1: in-betweener. Oh, did he? I, I missed I missed that one. Was that in a uh, Warlock, which I still yeah. have yet to read?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was in the Mega Saga.
1: Okay. And Chaos
0: and Order, and I'm trying to remember if there's anyone else.
1: Well, I know we have, thinking back to the ones I was introduced to in the 80s, um, I remember we also have Eterni- Eternity and Infinity and The Living Tribunal.
0: Well, we know, I know Eternity and Living Tribunal are both from, uh, well, I know Eternity is from Dicko's Doctor Fate. Oh. Okay. Was was Living Tribunal from Dicko's Dr. Doctor Fate? Fate that's DC Doctor too. Doctor Strange. There you go. <laughs> wrong company, wrong character. John, was uh, Living Tribunal from Dicko's Doctor Strange? Have you got up to that part yet?
1: Did John go away or do we lose him? We lost John. Uh-oh. I cannot hear John.
0: No, he's completely gone. He's not even on the uh, call.
1: Or is he? Oh, he is. is he? I, I see. don't see his picture. Oh, yes, we 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 well, his name is here though. Participant, he's listed as a participant in the call. Oh, two of three in the call. Let yeah, me try adding him so, back. Yep.
0: Yeah, one group member not on the call. Okay, let's add him back in. There you hey. are. We lost you. Yep, sorry. We we started talking to you and then like John. Hello, well, I said John? a few
2: things that uh, wasn't being heard, and I was like, "Huh, I wonder what's going on." And then suddenly, I couldn't hear anything anymore.
1: Uh, okay, so let's. Sorry. Dial it it's back. Okay, and-
2: I was just saying that I like Spider-Man's physicality in this. Um, I think he has a uh, Starlin has a great handle for how Spider-Man moves. Yes. I've been watching the 1970s Japanese Spider-Man, Ooh. and that guy. <laughs> That guy moves in some really cool, but completely not natural ways. <laughs> um, I'm not saying this reminds me of that, just kind of like, you know, this in my brain space right now. The one thing about the featureless, or I should say contourless Spider Man head is that sometimes some artists make it look like a balloon on his shoulders. Yes, yes. And so as long as, long as that's not happening, which it's a fine line. But as long as the uh, the art is avoiding that, I also like the featureless mask. I mean, when you're zoomed in on McFarlane and his head is taking up the entire length of the page, yeah. and you get some yeah. nose shape and some lip shape in there. That's kind of cool because that happens, right. as is evidenced in the 70s Spider-Man show, whenever you can see his lips through his mask. Um, but generally speaking, it, I like the balloon, too
1: yeah <laughs> the balloon <laughs> i love it
2: as long as it always doesn't look like balloon but you know what i mean the, the,
1: yeah the, no the i I, I exact i know exactly what you mean the spider balloon got it <laughs> but then we start talking about the cosmic characters and
0: trying to figure out how many starlin has introduced because he did the in-betweener mm-hmm. and he's now doing chaos and order and then we were going through some of the other ones real quick and i know uh, I yeah, saying,
2: you mentioned um eternity that was ditko's doctor strange yep And I think Living Tribunal is also Doctor Strange. I don't know about Infinity. Yeah, and I know,
0: I believe, I'm trying to remember which one it is. Love and Hate, one of them was introduced in The Defenders, and one is introduced in Infinity Gauntlet, but I forget which one is which. I think Hate is introduced in Infinity Gauntlet.
1: Oh, and there's one more we cannot forget, especially within the context of this story, and that would be Death.
2: (sighs) Okay, so I feel like we've (laughs) talked about this before, but I can't remember. Was death recently revealed to be a figment of Thanos' imagination? Wasn't that uh, in, like, the origin Thanos uprising or something like that?
1: I cannot comment. I haven't read that yet. I have. I've heard some things about it, but I have not read that because
0: part of what I heard was that it was death, but it was death basically manipulating Thanos from the beginning and making him do all these things as opposed to thanos doing this on his own you know having love for his death on his own and come in you know which i haven't like i said so i haven't read it i'm gonna wait till we get to that point on the show what in several years or decades because i'm not too sure how much i like that idea because in the one way thanos because thanos is i've said this before thanos is like the ultimate incel you must love me because Mm -hmm. but now that kind of makes it like it's it's her fault that he's that way. She actually manipulated him to do these to do those things, and then is ignoring him for her own purposes. And it makes him now the victim. Yeah, not the, well, you know it makes the insult of the victim, not the you know not the perpetrator. You know that's just death before she's like, all right, you're gonna do things. That's cool. I'm death. Never said I'm gonna love you, but now it's like, oh no, she promised to.
1: Hmm, I would have to read. Uh, more of the recent stuff before I uh yeah. before I was able to comment in any intelligent way on that so That's
0: just what I've heard of that it's about but I'm not sure so I'm just I'm just ignore- I'm just waiting till I get to that before I fully give judgment I'm just hoping it's not going to be that simple Okay but yeah, but of course, death. Because technically, I mean, yes, there has been death in as I've done on some episodes before, showing like death and you know use of Marvel using the character of death in the Golden Age and stuff. Death has appeared, but it's just been like the specter of death being there, kind of like, yay, people are dying, and that's really it. Starlin is really the one who created death as a care as much of a character as it's been, which is still not much of a character. You know, death just kind of stands there and is like, hey, I'm death.
2: What's <laughs> up? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like death and Bill and Ted where, you know, death is definitely a character
1: or death and or or death in the Sandman.
0: Yeah, it's more Which, like his death is, is
1: definitely is, a character.
0: Yeah, he's a character. All right. Like, oh, yeah. His death is more like the uh, ghost of Christmas future from uh, A Christmas Carol. Right. No,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. You
0: know, it has motivations and things it's doing planning on doing, but it really doesn't say anything to us or do more than point.
1: And but. toy with fat Thanos' heart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Spider-Man wait, wait, goes off to see the thing, and he says, I guess this is one time I can't play Lone Wolf. And I'm like, okay, Spider-Man, but you also have your own team-up series? Yes,
0: but the pa- other members of the pack keep leaving, so he's like a one-man wolf pack. But then other members of the pack show up, but then they go away.
2: Is he the wolf that like no one, no other wolves want to hang around because he's obnoxious?
0: He is Zach Galifianakis from the first Hangover movie. In the beginning,
3: so were there two of us, There were two of us in the wolf pack. I was alone first in the pack, and then Doug joined in later.
1: I just love. Um, I I really do love the entire sequence, and this plays back a little bit to to what I was talking about early on. Um, I wouldn't have expected this kind of writing from Starlin, especially given that it takes up a good few pages, which, which in the seventies and the pacing of seventies comics, even in an extra length annual, you know, a a page is a precious amount of, of plot and story time. Mm -hmm. So, and this takes up a few pages, the Spidey going to the Baxter building and, and making contact with Ben. And I just absolutely love this from the first time we see Ben and he's reading Salem's lot. Yeah. Or, or if you're me, or if you're me, Salem's lot, because that's how I, my brain insists on thinking of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, so he's, he's reading Salem's lot and, you know, he's grousing about, ah, oh, you know, Father Callahan, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he, he, there's the, there's the bit of like comedy with the cigar and we get the kind of bickering, you know, I'm going to chase you around the Baxter building like you're the human torch kind of thing. And then Spidey goes, you know, no, 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 no. Knock it off. This is serious. I've got some real heavy stuff going on here. And... That whole – the way this is all handled, I don't mind that Starlin gave it as much time and space as he did because it's really good stuff. And again, it makes this a Marvel 2-in-1. It makes this a, hey, the whole point of Marvel 2-in-1 or Marvel Team-Up is to see these characters that you love, be it Spider-Man or The Thing or in those occasional issues of Team-Up, The Human Torch, um, you get to see them interact with and hang out with and and have – you know, some sort of interaction with these other characters that they wouldn't normally come into contact with. And we're getting that, like we're getting value for our time here. You bought this Marvel two in one annual. Well, Starlin's not just using it as an excuse to give us his the the, the finale of his story. You're actually going to get some Marvel two in one goodness here. And here it is. And it's a healthy helping and enjoy. And I'm like, that's phenomenal. Good on you jim for for doing that
0: oh yeah no i love this sequence because it's perfect ben's playing along because he knows he's he, he at this point he's known spidey for years he's worked with him plenty of times oh he knows what kind of person he is so he's screwing around with him until spidey's like freaks out he's like oh okay this is serious never mind and then exactly. Ben puts it all
1: exactly
0: he puts it all away he's like oh okay wait something is really going on what's up and i love that love that
1: i'm with totally with you Al
2: and um have you all read salem's lot years and years and years ago i started to i
1: had conceived of a of a thing where i was going to read all of stephen king's stuff in order this was back in the late 90s and i said i'm gonna read all of stephen king's stuff in order so i got Carrie, and i read it and i really enjoyed it i'm like wow that was a lot of fun to read okay salem's lot is next salem's lot whatever you want to call it um it is next and and I got about, I guess, a, a quarter or a third of the way into it, you know, until the point where um, the the main character, and it's been so long, I don't remember any of the characters' names, but he he strikes up that kind of very 1970s casual sort of like uh, sex friends thing with the with the girl. And I was just like, this is too dated. I can't read this any further. And I know for a fact that there is like some really good stuff that goes on later on in the story, but I never got to it because my brain just could not deal with that dated um, 1970s like, hey, you know, like a swinger kind of thing going on, or at least the me of 1997 or 1998 couldn't. So I tried watching the TV movie, but the problem is, is that I had this uh, very good friend of mine, friend slash girlfriend slash thing that, and and we just got drunk and watched the movie and just laughed our full heads off. Um, <laughs> so I cannot say, so I cannot say that my relationship with Salem's Lot is worthy of the of the material itself, and I probably should go back and give it another try with my older and wiser head.
2: So my first exposure to it was the TV uh, movie miniseries back when back when remember whenever you know two nights in a row a movie length portion of a story and that was just like a thing Absolutely. like an NBC uh, movie yeah. event it
0: was yeah. a special so, thing too
1: loved yeah, it yeah. yeah loved it the um, George Washington one that was on I think NBC was like one of my favorite things ever when I was a kid.
2: And uh, like one of the exceptional exceptions to the rule was the Shogun one, which was like 12 movies over the course right. of, you know, Right. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I saw it. And that ends with um, this scene where the little boy who's been made into a vampire um, is like floating outside of his friend's bedroom window, scratching at the window saying, Danny, let me in Danny. And it was the creepiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Whenever I saw it still wow. sticks in my mm. head. Um, however, I then as an adult tried to show the TV miniseries movies to my kids mm-hmm. and in Stephen King fashion, this is not a vampire movie. This is a movie about people that happens to have vampires in it,
1: which and I most like. Of the
2: vampire, yeah. Yeah. It makes a great read. Right. But if you're thinking you're going to get a vampire movie and the vampires don't even show up until the cliffhanger for the second film. Right. Um, it's a little bit, you know. Frustrating, I think. It's kind of like when you go to watch Dumbo the flying elephant, and he flies 90 seconds before credits roll. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. I. Yeah. No. Good. Good. Good analogy. Good analogy. You, you're absolutely right. From what I remember through my drunken haze of those television movies, uh, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely accurate.
0: Well, that's a that's a definitely a thing of the 70s too. A lot of these horror movies and things of the 70s, with a few exceptions, are mostly set-up and atmosphere with the actual thing happening in a minimal part of it. I mean, have you ever seen, uh, what was that movie? I think it's The
1: Last House on the Left, the original version by uh, Wes Craven. Not me. I've heard of it, but I'm very much not a horror movie guy as a general rule. Oh,
0: that's okay. It's not much of a horror movie until the last 20 minutes or so. (laughs) Okay. But the majority of the movie is obviously a very stoned cameraman filming the sky for 24 hours and them going, well, I guess we can get like an hour out of this. And that's a, majority, a good chunk of it is, with the exception of some of the really weird and stranger movies, or the ones that are a little more either definitely violent or even offensive, like uh, what are the, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or I Spit on Your Grave. You know, the one, the Chainsaw Massacre is the more violent, the Spit on Your Grave is the more offensive. But I mean, right. most of those, though, a lot of those movies I've watched from those classic 70s movies are just kind of like a lot of atmosphere and setup with the stuff only happening at the very, very end. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when they finally show it, probably also partially because due to val- uh, production, you know, value what they could do at the time. You know, how yeah. much can we spend on this? What can we do? How can we make it believable? I mean, why do you think they don't really show the alien and an alien until almost the end?
2: Because, because it is most definitely a guy in a suit. <laughs> yeah.
1: And also because that movie is freaking awesome. I didn't actually watch that movie again. Very much not a horror movie guy. And I was like literally too scared. To watch that movie until about two or three years ago. And when I did watch it, I was like, holy crap. That is one of the best films. Like we're not talking monster movie, horror movie, sci-fi. That was one of the best films I ever damn saw. Yeah, I mean, it
2: blew How me away get, like, and fully realized characters like, that. Yeah. like it's a it's a it's a cast, you know, every single one of those people by yeah. the end of the movie, except for the guy who, you know, get the alien burst out of his tummy at the beginning. But, you know, every one of those people, you know, what kind of conversation oh, you have with them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. The 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 uh, yeah, and Harry Dean Stanton, they're like fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. No. And to b- be fair, though, that is one of the exceptions that actually can take that format and make it amazing. That in Jaws, obviously. Yeah, another great movie, yeah. You know, a movie where, I mean, think about it. How often do you actually see the shark in Jaws? It's like a two-hour movie, and the shark is in, like, 50, you know, you really see the shark itself, barely. But those two movies... We watched
2: Jaws, and my girls were making fun of that so hard. It's like, when is the shark actually going to show up? This entire... Wait, wait, wait. So you build up all the tension, and then you just sit there and tell stories on your boat? What? I love that stuff. Oh, I love
0: part that part song. of the movie. I still sing that song when I get bored. <laughs> I I get bored. Oh, please, I want to go home. <laughs> home. I'm tired and I well, want go to go bed. to bed. <laughs> Show me the way to go.
1: Those two and I now, am drinking course, right now, so that go. that's perfectly appropriate.
0: But like those two movies took that format and made it work.
1: But like all things of quality, those are usually the exception, not the rule. Okay. I could see that. But any but now to wrestle this, shark wrestle this back onto um get
0: the shark NATO back
1: to Thanos. Get the back. What I love like it does say something and does is actually a completely believable, but hitherto undepicted depicted kind of aspect of Ben Grimm's, uh, character. He is sitting at home alone at the Baxter building, reading a Stephen King novel, a spooky vampire driven Stephen King novel, all by his lonesome. And obviously from his comment about, uh, the priest, like, Really engaged with it, like super into it. And it's like that is like I'm just like, wow, I like love him even more now.
2: And then he makes a drug joke. He deflects yeah. it because comics code. But right. he makes That's a exactly drug what joke. <laughs>
1: right, right. What you smoking kid. Deflection for shoes. shoes. Yeah.
0: No, this whole thing actually makes me realize that despite all of his bluster and all of his you know persona that he puts on of you know the ever-loving blue-eyed thing the way with him like you said him sitting there reading and the way he automatically takes almost a parental role as soon as spidey hit like you realize spidey actually has problems and he can with, without actually knowing who he is you got a feeling that despite he can tell he's the torch's age he's a kid to, yeah. you know, as far as ben's concerned ben's core character is Uncle benji yeah that is what he is at his core
1: Oh, and just real quick to uh, take it back to the drug reference thing, uh, because, John, I don't think you've been around for the uh, discussions of the 1970s Marvel culture that Al and I have had after I read uh, Marvel, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was that whole group of dudes, uh, Milgram and Engelhart, and all those dudes who came on board at Marvel in the early to mid 70s, and they were all just like, you know, stoners and acid heads. Oh yeah,
2: Starlin run, was part of that crowd.
1: And that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. and Starlin was an absolutely core part of that group of guys who would just like get absolutely like screwy in the head on chemicals and go running around the village all night long and, you know, so the fact that he manages, that he goes out of his way to slip this stuff into his uh, work, I kind of adore.
0: <laughs> yeah. They were all trying to get to where Dicko was without it. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly.
2: So then they fly to space.
0: Yes, just right of the Earth. Wait, just right of the Earth, facing the sun.
1: <laughs> and I like that Ben. I like that Ben's because Ben is a pilot. Ben is a as an experienced astronaut who actually has to use real space navigation. So that uneducated sort of description that that Ben poops on it. That Ben, you know, it's like just to the just to the right of 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 Earth, and he's like, uh, hold on. Um,
0: Okay, we got tracking stuff. We'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I just like, that's fantastic.
2: Although it's, it's, it's oh, worth great pointing out. You, the
1: regular is, navigational technician, that's
2: what Right. <laughs> Space is big. And if you're far from something but not looking straight at it, you will not see it. And I, I love, you know... The whole Battlestar Galactica sense of space that you often get nowadays, but um, back in the seventies, if you went to space looking for a thing, it was right there. It was the model that was well lit by the um, yeah. by the lights over
1: absolutely, in the absolutely. <laughs> it's over on set B. We just gotta go there. Yeah,
0: but yeah, so they do find it thanks to either being the model or the navigational tools they have in the ship, and they find a sanctuary. Is it a sanctuary too,
1: right?
2: Actually in this one they call it Sanctuary um... I don't think they specify a number I think they're just calling it Sanctuary the whole time
1: oh, Okay okay yeah. I thought I saw it called so Maybe that was in the Avengers Annual That it was called Sanctuary 2 And I'm just carrying that over Because I did reread that right before I read this In my uh, prep for this episode uh, It's hold on I think it's in the beginning here I'm misremembering Because I know
0: I was just writing the synopsis For Warlock 15 last night And they call it Sanctuary 1 there And uh, I thought he said in the beginning. No, I don't see it. Oh well, it's not worth looking for.
2: It's one of the sanctuaries. (laughs) I don't know why it said like an H though, because Thanos starts with a T. Well, I I my my guess is well,
1: hmm. I don't think there would have been enough lead time. I think the lead time on this would have precluded Starlin being specifically uh, influenced in any way, shape, or form by Star Wars, which you know came out on may 25th of 1977
2: this thing was in the can by the time the movie came out right so maybe maybe he was working on it when the novelization was out six months earlier right
1: but no but i was definitely uh you mean the novelization by alan dean foster credited to george lucas yes that one i'm i'm freaking bitter because I read that thing uh, like literally like fifteen times when I was a kid and like grew up thinking George Lucas was this gifted novelist no. and, and all that, <laughs> right no, and I and then I found out and I felt so unbelievably betrayed. But anyway, that aside, um... you,
2: you, you watched the original Star Wars trilogy, thinking he was a gifted movie maker.
1: Um. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> and again, again, I did learn better. But that said, that said, I. The first one is my favorite uh, of all of them. So, and he was responsible for that. Don't forget, uh, Empire and Jedi were uh, written and directed by other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, was so, story. so, right. So, so, you know, I have to, I can't yank all credit from him because he did create the original, the original theatrical 1977 theatrical cut of star wars and i refuse to use the stupid subtitle is the best is my favorite of the entry of the entire franchise to this day so make of that what you will i only bring that up because i was thinking that you know the design of sanctuary here could have under different circumstances been influenced by the tie fighters which is very cool Uh, oh yeah yeah But that's not necessarily possible here, so I'm not going to press that point.
0: See, I always thought it was just the fact that Thanos did try doing things more customized to himself, but everyone kept making fun of him for the Thanos copter. So when it came to doing this ship, he's like, just forget it. Never mind. We're not going to do that again.
1: Or the copter was a
0: mistake. We're not doing this again.
1: He doubled down. It's two T's like on top, like up opposite. (gasps) Uh huh. Uh
2: huh.
1: Who just blew your mind?
2: You broke
0: it. And by the way, I like that. appears like I was appears I was wrong about you this time, Spidey. What do you mean this time?
2: Yeah. And they fight all the aliens, like a yes. bunch of a big crowd of Starlin aliens. And those are gotta have.
0: They're Starlin aliens. There, there's no one else does aliens like Starlin does.
1: Actually, what this remind actually that's not a hundred percent true because what this really reminded me of, I have recently dipped my toes into the uh, classic nineteen eighties Paul Levitt's uh, uh, Legion of Superheroes, and if mm. I'm and it remind they did a lot of these mer- multi species mercenary army battle royals in those, uh, issues, as I recall, or maybe they only did one or two and my brain is inflating them to like many, but it seems to me like in those, uh, first, first issues in like the, the very first few issues of the, uh, the great darkness saga trade paperback, um, I was getting uh, a lot of stuff that this reminds me of, although obviously that's quite a few years after this. So maybe Levitts and company were taking their inspiration from this.
0: Well, if that's the Great Darkness trade, then that's probably the Keith Giffen art. I could see Keith being influenced by this, especially mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so since it would have been just a few you know, around the time he was starting to get into comics, or just this would have come out just before Keith Giffen was getting in. So
1: right, right, right.
0: That could definitely be. I can see Starlin being influenced on Keith,
1: at least totally, the early one. Totally. Yep.
0: But and we have that snake alien again. I love that snake alien.
1: And I I do like the way I really do. Now I'm I'm tempted to dismiss a lot of this as filler. I mean, as 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 far as Marvel had pushed the storytelling envelope in terms of potential by the late 70s the fact is that they still more often than not reverted to this is what you came here for action 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 like that whole sort of approach so i'm tempted to dismiss these lengthy f- fisticuff sequences as filler and yet there's still quality content in here because i really do like the way that uh, ben and pete divvy up the enemies like pete's like i'm just going to deal with these smaller guys and i'm going to leave the heavy hitters to you because you're the one with the thousand ton bench press super strength and i'm just you know spider-man
0: yeah no it's a great way they work together yeah like you said spidey's going to keep the little guys from bothering him so he can be free to take on the big guns right because he's the thing he's the big gun so
2: honestly the thing i mean Anyone who reads The Thing knows that he can handle this. I mean, he, he gets a little nervous about it. But the, the great thing about The Thing is even if he gets taken down, The Thing gets back up again. Yes. yes. He is he is the uh, Smash Mouth incarnate. If he gets knocked down, he gets yep. back up again. Like and
1: the best brawler in the Marvel Universe.
2: Right. And that's the thing about the thing, Hulk, thing versus Hulk fights. It's not who's stronger. The Hulk's stronger. The Hulk is going to win that fight if it's, the Thing stops getting back up.
0: It's it's the first right. Rocky movie,
1: right? Or or if you're me, it's it's pro wrestling because I'm a big pro wrestling fan. And it's like as much as I enjoy the the more stylish what what the uh, wags call the flippy. <laughs> um, every once in a while, you do just like a hoss fight, two big dudes wailing on each other until one doesn't get up anymore that's exactly what you're talking about and so of course i'm here for that yeah and
0: speaking of which they do get taken out because thanos
1: is now in charge again of the army which
0: i did like how they showed that in the beginning because i mean if thanos has this army you know well how they're not really that good The you know, avengers take them out in five seconds but as we saw in the beginning of this issue that's because thanos wasn't there he just the army was just running around basically attacking like a mob the moment thanos came back and directed them they took the Avengers out pretty quickly. And the same thing happens here. The moment Thanos gets involved in the fight, you know, and actually starts, you know, so there's some of a brain that goes against these two. They get taken down pretty quickly.
2: And then we see our golden boy. Yes, we are back. We are in Soul yes. World
0: Yes. Where everything is pleasant. And it's really weird because, especially since, just to pull the curtain back, I am just finishing editing the, uh, episode where we're covering warlock 15 and that's going to be coming out tomorrow and in there he's dealing with the soul gem if you remember that john the soul gem tried to take over his body and you know was like so he could find more souls to steal and it's like this was evil thing that he would have was stuck with and now here he's in soul world and everything's all pleasant and nice and lovely
2: it's like if he do you think he said they're going if i had known my gem was sending everybody's souls to such a happy place maybe i wouldn't have worried about it so much
0: yeah, I'm wondering if, A, I'm wondering if Starling just didn't kind of do it this way because he knew this was going to be it, so he might as well leave a happy ending. But it also does make sense for the more recent thing like Infinity Wars, where they're showing that Soul World actually isn't this pleasant place. Because it makes sense because the whole time in the Warlock series, the Soul Gem is not a pleasant thing. It's an evil vampiric entity.
2: Right. It's an evil vampiric entity with an idyllic setting inside.
0: Yeah, but that idyllic setting will, will, is a trap, which it's not... No, the, uh, the trap part isn't here. That's revealed later on in the more recent Infinity Wars from like a year or two ago. But it makes sense. You know, they're not taking it and just going, well, what? You know, they're not doing it for the hell of it. There actually is... I can see the precedent based on the whole Warlock series up till now.
2: So, okay, so it, it's it's kind of a trope in sci-fi to have like the idyllic setting be an actual thing that, like, you know... they're actually feeding off of you the entire time. So, um, yeah, yeah I kind of dig that.
0: They're in the Matrix.
2: Right. I was thinking Matrix, but I wasn't sure... it's been so long since I've seen that, just how much that metaphor extended. But, yeah. yeah,
0: it's,
2: They're in the Matrix. But yeah,
0: well, um, Adam, Gamora, and Pip are happy in Soul World for now.
1: I uh, don't have the context that you fellows have... for this particular aspect of the Warlock storyline. So all I kept thinking to myself... Was he is now inside a gem that was lodged in his own forehead, which kind of gives new meaning to getting lost in your own head.
2: <laughs> and now his forehead is being held by Thanos, so like he it's 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 weird.
0: Yeah, and I do like that the gem is not on him in Soul World. That would be weird. Well, I can see them too many times, especially in '70s comics. I can see them forgetting to take that part out, right? And Starlin right. remembered. But so outside of Soul World, we see that then, you know, Spidey and the Thing are waking up and Thanos has all of the Avengers. I love the way
1: he does this. I love this is so 100% Starlin having, thanks to you, Al, having read so much 1970s Starlin and gotten so familiar with his uh, quirks and uh, tropes, just this whole thing of darkness, light, awareness, reality. It's like that's such a like uniquely oh, yeah. Starlin thing. I, and I'm just sitting here like, yep, I came here for Starlin and boy, how am I getting Starlin?
2: And even though the first panel on that row is not the same setting, color-wise and visually it feeds the effect. Because yes. we're fading out of the warlock scene into the darkness of Spider-Man coming to. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
2: And great big beautiful splash of all the um, Avengers in there uh, dangling in the light, the light beams Situation.
0: Yeah, all in unconscious and trapped. While their Thanos's thralls are making accommodations, <laughs> I, like, I like his euphemisms. My thralls are pretty b- busy
1: preparing similar accommodations for you.
0: But until then, I think it might enjoy.
1: <laughs> now here, this is as good a place as any to bring up, though the one thing that I do keep wondering and this is going to come into play as we reach the climax of this particular issue and of course the entire um arc but if you'll uh, cast your mind back to avengers annual number seven um and pulling the curtain back just slightly it has been uh some number of months since we actually recorded that episode and i'm not on top of everything I might have said or might have had said to me in that episode, so forgive me now that I'm through with all that prelude. You will recall that Thanos has his mercenary army. Thanos has his thugs do all his dirty work for him. And then Warlock gets all up in his grill and he just does something and kills Warlock dead. And the question that keeps coming back to my mind is, Why doesn't he just do this to everyone? Whatever he did to Warlock, and why doesn't he just do it to Spider Man and the Thing and all of the Avengers? Like, why these elaborate James Bond, um, Edna Mode, no monologuing darling kind of uh, like excesses? Uh,
0: You want the short answer or the
1: long answer? Um, I'll take both on account of we have a podcast to fill here, uh, Mister. Oh yeah, that's true.
0: Well, the short answer is because Warlock's story was over, so he could die. The Avengers story and thing, and the Spider-Man and the Thing, their comics are still coming out, so they can't die.
2: That's the easy answer.
0: Yeah, that's the short one. They can't die. It's so right. what you're saying the Next issue is Spider-Man has to come out still. They can't kill him off.
2: So what you're saying
1: is is that mysterious green energy with which Thanos snuffed out Warlock's life in Avengers annual number 7 that that mysterious green energy was the power of plot yes oh wow and, i added a magnificent superpower to have
0: um the long answer is well i mean i guess my no prize answer is this thanos is kind of a jerk he does enjoy <laughs> multiple forms of torture and violence and evil you know not just the physical but the mental i mean he's enjoying here telling the thing and spider-man that he is going to set their son to go nova and destroy their planet and the whole solar system. And their faces, I mean, look at Ben Grimm's face. He's like, why? And I was like, because for death. Of course. He's enjoying their reaction. But let's think of it. Who was the one person from the Warlock series before? Who was the one person that Thanos was worried about? The Magus. And as much as Warlock has destroyed the Magus, the fact that Warlock was still alive always left the possibility for the Magus to come back. If Warlock's dead, 100% the Magus can't come back. And the only thing he needed Warlock for was to get a soul gem again, which he now has. So and that let's have our act- fun with them, and let's get rid of the guy who might end up being a problem.
1: And that does actually engender perhaps the one... Okay, so my no-prize answer would be very similar to that and would uh, play off of that, and it would be that, that Thanos is incredibly arrogant and use all of these Earth heroes... Even the powerful Avengers like Thor and the Thing and and uh, the Vision, he views all of them as beneath him. So he doesn't need. So he can toy with them. He can torture them. He can keep them around to be the audience for his grand victory. Whereas Warlock, he's actually scared of Warlock. He can actually uh, could be a problem. Could be a problem. So he just has to kill him dead asap. Um, in a way, it's funny because it, this uh, you and I, Al, uh, recorded our little uh, mini episode not too long ago. The, the Thanos backup story in uh, Logan's Run, number seven, yep. six or seven, one of those. Six. Six. Anyway, six. yeah, it's hilarious because Warlock he took seriously, and Warlock he wanted out of the way. Uh, Destroy the Destroyer, Drax, who was joke. actually created for the Express Soul purpose of drax the destroyer what is he destroying he's destroying thanos thanos never took him seriously thanos toyed with him as much as anybody else that is friggin awesome
0: and i would say drax even that version of drax
1: was more powerful than warlock right but but not very smart
0: (laughs) yeah and this is before we get to 90s dumb drax who's right
1: exactly elf exactly
0: and there's also the thing that comes up. Now, granted, we'll come up to later, but it's a Starlin thing too, so it works. That comes up in Infinity Gauntlet where Warlock says, "I've been in your head. I know you. The thing about you is, you don't believe you deserve this. Mm-hmm. You don't believe you deserve to win. So you always leave a chance for somebody to beat you. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it might only be a .05 percent of a chance, but he's always leaving some ch- He's always leaving the opportunity for people to beat him." Because he does not believe he truly w- deserves to win or Death's love or whatever it is his goal, you know. He doesn't believe he deserves this ultimate power.
1: Ooh, psychology.
0: So he always leaves a chance to be defeated, because otherwise, so, yes, he should have killed them
2: already. So I'm looking at this uh, conversation with Thanos and uh, Spider-Man and Thing. And he, you know, spills his whole sp- uh, plan to make the sun, causing it to go okay. nova and destroy all life in your solar system. And things like, good God, man, why? Why for death, of course. And, like, he's about to explain what that means, but no one actually knows what that means in the conversation room right now. So, like, the, the guy's just like, wait a minute. You want to kill everybody for this sake? That doesn't make any sense. But then he says something that makes even less sense at least to the normal ears of Spider-Man and the thing years ago, after my exile from Titan, I met and fell in love with the personification of death for a timeless time. I served her and I could just see Peter and Ben looking at each other going, what? Uh, you
1: you what? what? No, I agree. I agree with you completely. The personification
2: John, Personification of death.
1: Yeah. When I read, when I read that specific speech bubble, that sentence, that's that speech, bubble where he just completely earnestly goes years ago, I fell in love with the personification of death, and I'm thinking, okay, that is a thing that someone just actually said.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to argue with him because he's the Mad Titan Thanos.
1: Right. Exactly. And yet. He's the mad yeah. part. <laughs> right. But yeah, no. Ben and Ben and Pete are absolutely looking at each other, going, "This dude is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs."
2: I mean, Cocoa Puffs are really good, though.
1: They They really are.
2: Yeah.
1: And the milk gets all nice and chocolatey.
0: Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why Thanos is so mad. Someone else stole those Cocoa Puffs. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) that's a theory. (laughs) And
2: and after the thing goes after Thanos and gets totally whammied, Spider-Man does. Now, okay, I realize that movie Spider-Man has had an opportunity to actually go up against Thanos. But he had, like, Guardians and Avengers and a much more interestingly powerful suit to help him with that. I can still see Maguire, Holland, any Spider-Man you want, looking at this situation going, um, I, I don't know what to do now. And just running away. Like, yeah. running out of there. And, you know, he kind of berates himself about it later. It's like, wow, I really did have just been a bit of, you know panic attack but still it's it's totally believable you are up against the mad god who just took out ben Grimm, and you're like i i don't know what to do now <laughs> it is it isn't
1: it it is and it isn't i think that a lot of that depends upon your uh your 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 context or at least your your history with the character I was not as like I made my peace with it afterwards after he had his change of heart and came back and made good. And we'll get to that in in a minute. But at the moment that he was actually running away, I found it uncomfortably jarring because you have to understand one of the very first comics I ever read You know, when I when I got into comics in the mid 80s under my own power, as opposed to reading whatever my parents bought for me and handed to me. um, And I was decided Spider-Man was my guy and I was buying Spider-Man comics. It was one of the late 85 issues. I don't remember the exact number. I could look it up. But, you know, um, one of the late 80s issues of uh, mid late 85 issues of Amazing Spider-Man, where he comes up uh, against Fire Lord, two issues where he fights Fire Lord, the Herald of Galactus. And. He chased it like that was my first exposure to Spider-Man. And that was my defining like sort of um, my first impre- defining first impression of Spider-Man was the guy who will take on a dude from space who can flatten the city and just refuse to not pummel him into unconsciousness on general principle. And because. Of that and so many other uh, Spidey stories I've read over the years of being a Spider-Man fan, I found this moment in the moment that I was reading it. I was like, oh, oh, no, I don't like that. No, not one little bit. No. And I did make my peace with it after it was all redeemed later on. But I cannot I cannot say I was as sanguine with this moment as uh, John was.
2: No, so I can understand that. I kind of what? like the idea that this moment prepared him for that moment
1: that's what I was thinking uh, okay okay that's yeah. that's that's a good thought because this like is
2: it this is sorry, by on. far I'm, I keep talking about no this go, is by go. far his most cosmic most high stakes situation he's ever been in he has never ever faced anyone this powerful before so I like the idea that after this it becomes less crazy for him
1: no, that's a that is a ex, that's an excellent context context for it. Um, the fact that this is the least friendly neighborhood he's ever been up to this point. So yeah.
0: Yeah, he's most of the adventures have had still whatever the stakes have been, they've been stakes he can handle and stakes he can understand. But now all of a sudden we're at I'm going to destroy your son and destroy your planet because I'm in love with death. You know, not just and I don't mean death as in killing people. I mean as in hi. I'm Thanos, and this is my partner, Death. How are you doing today? We're moving in together.
1: I you know, want to next door. Death. You know, we're I... moving in next door.
0: And it's like, wait, what? Like, his brain is just breaking. And this kind of goes with Spider-Man being, like, the everyman and the, uh, the person, you know, the, the most reader-identifiable character probably Marvel had at the time was that Spidey's just, like, uh, he's just having a panic attack, like John said. He's just freaking out. And he's like, what the? I, I, I don't... You know, that's all his brain can do It's like, I don't know what to do here This is well above my pay grade
1: And it's interesting Because with that sort of out of character moment, or at least the way it first read to me, you guys are both making excellent points. And I don't mean in any way, shape or form to poo-poo them by continuing to hit my earlier point, just to, to drive home to what I was saying. Um, so as I'm reading this and I'm, he's having what initially appeared to me to be that out of character moment, and then he thinks better of it and goes back, like in an earlier year, maybe with a different creative team like perhaps you could write that off as well that was the penciler doing the usual marvel method pencilers plotting Mm -hmm. job and then the writer having to come up with some narrative structure to make all that make sense to him in his own conception of the story but this is all starlin like writing and drawing so you can't even like say that necessarily. So but that yeah. was a thought I also had while I was reading it. Is 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 this a oh no wait this isn't a Marvel method thing. This is all Starling.
0: <laughs> yeah no, this this comes to me kind of like a natural thing. Like something really bad happens you're not expecting and you know if you're able to deal with stuff you're like going, oh crap, oh crap oh crap. Oh crap. Oh my God, what do I do what do I do? And then as he's starting to run, he's figuring out a plan. So even though he's trying to run away, he's already starting to plan, okay, well if Thanos destroys the planet, if I run away and Thanos just destroys the planet, it doesn't matter at that. You know, nothing. There's no point. So I can't run away, but I can't just fight fight, fight him. He took out the thing with one blow. All right. Well, Thor. Thor is more powerful. Okay. So if I can free Thor, I can. I can't take him on, but I can free Thor. You know. So I like that. that like he, as he's doing that, he's still figuring out a way to do everything right. It's like if I free Thor,
1: he can take him on.
2: He turns it, his running into a fighting chance to win.
1: Yeah. And again, it it, it reminds us that one of Peter's greatest assets is not any of his powers, but his mind. And when writers remember that and lean into that, as many of them do frequently, that always leads to what I ultimately regard as a strong Spider-Man story. And again, I am surprised at how well Starlin handles these characters who were not natural parts of his milieu prior to this issue. Yeah. And Spike gets back. Sorry, go on.
2: He does that bit at the bottom of that page. That was some blind panic number I just ran myself through. Sure glad it passed. Maybe I'm getting too old for this kind of gig. I'll have to do some heavy thinking along those lines later. Spoilers. He does not do any heavy thinking along those lines <laughs> later.
1: Yes.
2: At least no. not on panel that we see.
0: I'm sure there's going to be another story where he quits at some point. He does not I'm sure at some
2: point he will quit again. Yes, you're right. Okay.
0: And that's the other thing. I mean, hasn't Spidey man hasn't Spidey quit several times? Didn't he even like run away, or at least get beaten pretty easily a few times in the first like dozen issues? Right? Um, you would, would know that better a few, than everyone. Wouldn't say a few times, but I know Doc Ock kicked his in issue three, right? The first time they fought. Well, that uh, was. I'm not counting was... the, the time he got sick, which was later on.
1: Whether wh- whether you attribute it to Ditko or Stan. Uh, Yeah, right from the very get-go, part of Peter Parker's story was always that he's not naturally inclined to this kind of thing. And his niceness and his—no matter what kind of superpowers he may be endowed with, his basic niceness and just the nature of his character are going to always kind of render him— uh, less suited for this sort of thing than someone like, say, Captain America, who was trained as a soldier, or mm-hmm. Namor, who just likes to hit everything he doesn't like in the face. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like both both Ditko and Stan and everyone who came after them, I and I guess that's why Spider-Man to this day is my favorite superhero, is that fighting, physical fighting, is never something he relishes or goes into wanting to do it's always something he does when he has to and and yeah
0: yeah so that's i mean like i said i'm not saying you're wrong for your opinion just that's how i'm viewing it that this is right it's he's having a natural human reaction but the thing about spidey is he will come back he won't just keep running in his panic he will stop his panic he knows he could do
1: something well you know who agrees with you? you know who agrees with you master order Agrees yep. with you because on the very next page, he too had foreseen that possibility, uh, but he had faith in his, this noble Earthman's strong heart winning out in the end. So Al, you and Master Order are on the same page.
2: Yep, you kind of look the same
1: too. Ooh,
2: just kidding. Uh, no, that okay. would
1: be that would be me with the lack of hair. I got uh, to trim the eyebrows <laughs> though. That's true. And and them. and the uh, no, just ask just ask my wife. The eyebrows are out of control, too. <laughs> my hair is out of control right now. Join America. Yeah, that's true.
0: Although I'm more shaved than you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just don't shave anymore. That's all there is to it. Well, that's why.
1: Yeah, that's that's quite the lockdown beard you got going on there, my friend.
2: Yup. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Spidey gets back,
0: and I like how he can't find anything uh, heavy to drop on there, so he uses himself and I knocks himself that.
1: out. I love that that to me is the pivotal moment of the issue and 100 percent my favorite panel in the entire issue is that one uh is the bottom one where where all the avengers break free and lunge at at thanos and spider-man's like limp body is just kind of hanging half in and half out of that contraption and that to me i just he he sacrificed himself for the cause and I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Cannot express how much I loved it.
2: Yeah. It's pretty great.
0: It is great. Because you get everything happening at once. Spidey's out for who knows how damaged he is. The Avengers are attacking. You get the thing popping up in the bottom like, hey, I'm still here. Hello. Hello. And that's it. It's the big old fight. And then we even get that nice big splash page with the Avengers taking on the army while Thor and the thing take on Thanos.
2: Okay. Go, go with me on a little journey here. Uh-huh. Um. The Vision is fighting a guy with orange and purple, and his angles and arms are kind of at, uh, his legs and arms are kind of at angles. And the Vision's white hand, if you first glance at it, kind of looks like a white head with a mass of white hair. And I just, my brain, the first time I looked at that page, read that as Mister Mix's pedelec. <laughs>
0: He does look kind of like a bit from, yeah, the similar color scheme and everything. He just needs the. they even does look like a little bit like a like a hat on top of his head.
2: Yeah. 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 So I, wow. obviously that was nowhere near intentional. I can't see how, how or why it would be intentional, but no, I that's think where my brain No, I think what
1: indicates went. is that your brain is completely Superman addled. Mm. And I, and I, and I say that with, with, with love and respect because mine is addled by many things as well. So. <laughs> Mine's just addled.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, yours is addled. Yeah, oh yeah. you gotta start pronouncing your name right dude
0: uh why should i start now <laughs> but oh this is this is beautiful i love this page the it's big good. the big knockout fight fire breaking out on the floor everything just chaos insanity
1: and and can we also just point out that uh even moon dragons get in her shots in and hey kudos for that she's uh she's uh hanging with the big boys and and punching aliens out right along with them and that wasn't always a thing you were insured to see in 1970s comic no
0: films. i was just thinking about that because yeah while wanda's still using her powers moon dragon is physically fighting them which kind of makes me think of when you mentioned the Korvac saga it's i'm thinking of wonder man's reaction when he sees miss marvel you know carol danvers but at the time Ms. marvel fighting with them and he's mm-hmm. even thinking She's not just pointing and blasting or something. She's going out, hauling off and punching the people like you know, as he as he says, quote unquote, like a man would. Yes. But it's the same thing. But I like that that Moon Dragon's doing that too. I mean, it's be very easy just to have Moon Dragon standing there and just showing blasts
1: coming from her brain. Right. Wanda, mm-hmm. Wanda and her just like you know, mind fighting off to the side. But nope, 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 nope. She's right in there. I mean, hey, well, he did specify
0: she was trained in martial arts and everything, so she does know what she's doing.
2: And we got that uh, that vertical triptych of Thor thing and that. Oh my gosh, it's the three ths. It's a.
1: Katam, yes. Oh, <laughs> and also
2: Thum Katam and Karoom. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty great. I never thought yeah. about the uh, alliteration on that.
0: Yeah, and but, they, they get bigger and bigger each time as they're hitting them harder. I love that.
2: Does movie Thanos, did we ever see him use, like, eye beams like this? I
1: don't mm. think so. I can't, I can't say for sure one way or the other. Oh, no. I'll just have to go back and watch them again to find out. Oh, darn.
0: I'm actually starting my rewatch of all of them next week. <laughs> well, because I finally have the two movies that I have not seen before. Which ones? Uh, I got them. There was a sale, so I got them for 15 bucks. for both of them. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home and Spider-Man Homecoming. <gasps>
1: Oh, I love both those movies. I loved Homecoming. I mean, uh, Far From Home a lot.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we had a lot. L- we did our episode on that back when it came out with um, Ethan from the apparently now defunct Spidey Rewind podcast, um, and that was a lot of fun. Those those movies are so great.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna. I skipped that for. I skipped that until I watched. I figured out until I watched it, I'd rather watch the movie first, but then there. go back to listen to those. But. um Yeah, it just just didn't work out for me to go see them, and then I got them finally, and I figured, well, I might as well do a rewatch and just watch them in order.
1: as, As far as I'm aware, the only MCU movie I've never seen is The Incredible Hulk.
2: Interesting.
1: And I keep meaning to go and watch it just to complete the sweep and say, hey, now I've seen every MCU movie, but every time I do, every time I think about it, my wife goes, no, that movie sucks, you don't want to see it, here's all these other movies I want you to watch instead and I never get
2: around
0: to watch. It's
1: not not as good, but I don't think it sucks.
2: I really like it. I think it's a pretty solid Hulk film. Um, I mean, its connections to the MCU are so tenuous at this point.
1: Right. Just because
2: of all the rights issues and the recasting and everything. But I really liked that movie. When it came out, I loved it. uh, I think it's the – I mean, except for if you want to – vote vote nostalgia and do the the television pilot it's probably the best hulk feature film that we're ever going to get
1: okay yeah, that's true okay and yeah if, i was massively disappointed in the ang lee one but i do have so much love for the television pilot
0: and did it uh, isn't the general from uh, hulk i'm looking him up right now yeah william hurt isn't he playing ross in
2: avengers as well
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, he is i i haven't seen was he in
2: Incredible he was in hulk, civil yes. war yeah, um, oh. he was the one who was trying to get them to sign the Sokovia Accords. Ah,
1: I did. I I missed. I uh, somehow that escaped my memory.
2: Yeah. They don't, don't call attention to him. They do call him Ross. He is. Yeah, that is. Yeah.
0: He is done about Ross. He's. The, I think he's the only one from that movie who actually, you know, not character wise, but actor wise, continues.
2: Mm. Hmm.
0: But to me, that makes it even more part of it. You know, that definitely keeps it as part of the Marvel Universe. Besides the uh, Tony Stark cameo at the end of Hulk. But, yeah, I don't think he uses the I-beams in the movies. And the I-beams obviously work pretty well because they take the thing out. And he says Thor's going to be out in just a few more blasts.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, I'm it begs the question, why didn't he lead with them? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I'm no-prizing the crap out of this one. I apologize. Because I did enjoy reading this issue. But, you know, I just, I, I have questions.
2: So I, I wonder, you know, of course, when you're when you're in a video game or whatever, you're doing several different moves to keep it. would be interesting, you know, just do the one move over and over again, um, unless you are. Um, but I don't know, they're, they're, they're thrashing at him. So he's using his smoky hands and. Well, of course, he gets taken down pretty quickly, so when he gets back up, he's like, maybe the I-beams are like a you you knocked me down anger reaction.
0: Yeah, or I'm thinking maybe it's like, uh, what's that called, Iron Man's Unibeam. It's his most powerful thing, but it takes, sucks out a lot of his power. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't just use that always first thing because, well, if he needs to do more th- stuff, he's in trouble because he doesn't have the power. So maybe it's a similar thing. It's like, look, if I use the most powerful weapon, my most powerful you know, physical weapon here, I'm not going to be as strong to finish off everything. You know, I save that till I need it.
2: The idea of Thanos with a limited power reserve seems a little bit weird. I mean, it, it should be there. It, sh- it should make sense. But they never, ever, ever refer to him being limited on power. He always seems to have more than enough. Right. No, that's right.
0: true. Although I guess limited is a very term. Right. You know, It depends on who he's fighting. I mean, if he's fighting, you know, if he was fighting Spider-Man, he wouldn't have to care. I mean, if he's fighting Thor and Thing or the Hulk, for instance, you might want to make, you know, then it's comparable.
1: I guess right. I guess you know as 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 I am wont to do I will turn my uh, pro wrestling fan brain onto here and just in the same way that in a uh, wrestling match a wrestler has to wear his opponent down to a certain level before he can bust out his killer finishing move um, maybe with Thanos it isn't necessarily he has to wear them down but it only like it's only like really worth using if he can take his opponent by surprise with it like basically there are certain conditions that need to be met before it makes sense for him. To use it at least story-wise, I don't know. I'm just you
2: yeah. Know, and, and if this were like, no prize, that yeah, <laughs> if this were a Super Sentai or Power Rangers, it would have to be the end of the fight before you pull out your finishing move. Right,
1: like that's, that's the
2: rule. Right. That's when right, bring right, out the exactly.
1: Volleyball. It's 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 the it's it's how
2: you do. Yeah, that's
0: when you bring out the volleyball of doom.
2: Exactly.
0: I love those things. I was watching them when you were doing the show, where they just bring out that volleyball and everyone
2: gets a chance to kick it. It's it crazy. turned into it turned into a football the last half of the show.
0: Yeah. Like, um, but anyway, but yeah. So and Spidey's back up now, sort of.
1: And and he's feeling called by something to bust Warlock out of Soul Gem Prison. Yeah, that's interesting. That's- And inside the Soul Gem, Warlock is feeling called to leave and complete his final mission of vengeance. And I'm thinking, who's doing all this calling? Is it Order and Chaos? Is it Moondragon? Like, where's all this, like, mystic motioning coming from?
0: Is it the universe? I mean, wasn't that the whole point of the Magus story originally? That the whole point of the Magus was because to make him powerful enough to be life's counter to Thanos... You know, hmm. that's why the member from the Mega Megastory, um, that was the whole point of him, was to be life's counterpoint to Thanos. You know, it wasn't just so he could be this all-powerful dictator. That just happened to work out as a side benefit for him. But that was his purpose, to be life's champion. As horrible as he was, he was life's champion. And Thanos' deaths, well, I guess with the Megas out, it's the second choice, which is the you know warlock version of him.
2: Well, it's also possible that he was going for Ghost Rider for the Mission of Vengeance, but he wasn't around. So the Soul Gem was the nearest thing at hand.
1: <laughs>
0: ghost Rider
2: mm. said,
1: could
0: you imagine Ghost Rider in this issue, riding driving around his motorcycle, flaming motorcycle
1: in this spaceship? <laughs> On the so, stage of, uh, 70s I mean, Ghost Rider. S- now I am sad I don't have that issue. <laughs> now I'm <laughs> sad that is not what we're talking about here. Thanks a sad, lot, Al. Yeah.
0: I'm sad this is not Marvel 201 featuring the Thing and the champions of L.A. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, we could have had Thor and Hercules and the Thing going at uh, Thanos all at once. That would have been fun. An angel with his chest
2: hair costume. Oh Lord, yes. <laughs> well, if you got it, flaunt it, right?
0: Exactly. Well, that's definitely that definitely was
2: seventies Warren's opinion. Until you get the restraining order. Yeah. Um So I love I love Spider Man. Okay, so he's like he's following the the impulses of his spider sense. I guess the thing is like. When did Thanos have time to put it in this globe? I don't. That didn't, we never saw that happen on panel, but suddenly here it is.
1: Well, they were all unconscious for a while. This is true. Yeah, he had time to decorate. And and just again to to get back to the running theme of of at least Spider Man's involvement in this story, it's Jim Starlin writing Spider Man so well because like right back to the uh, the famed uh, Ditko Doc Ock three parter that has a title that I cannot for the life of me remember right now but you know where where just he like the defining thing of spidey as a hero is he just doesn't give up so here he is he can barely think straight he can barely see he and he's like but i gotta do it so i'm just now i'm just gonna start flailing my arms about wildly and he does it and it's just it's such like true to who spider-man is and i'm like yeah love it love it love it on
0: that page where he knocks that globe over that top panel on the right, is it just me or does that look like an alien version of
1: the Green Goblin kind of? Oh, that, yeah. That hits him yeah. from behind. Yeah, how appropriate. Absolutely. I had the same thought. But
2: that's yes, the he... Master Planner arc, by the way. Yes. Oh, right. yeah, that's right. Yeah, the one with right, the machinery but, issue, right? But, the one where you but put there's like,
1: there's a title for one of them, like, If This Be My Destiny. Is that it?
2: Oh, yes. If This Be My Destiny. is. This yeah, eternity? that's
1: what I always think of it as, you know?
0: But yes, he did it. He did it. Or as Spidey says, what did I do? <laughs> I like that. I did it! What did what, I do?
1: What the devil know. did I do? That is great. I love that.
2: You have released the Deus out of the machina. Yes.
1: He has released the ultimate Avenger.
2: Well,
0: thankfully his machina seems to be covered, but it's really big apparently in this one.
1: And... <laughs>
0: it looks and, a little inappropriate there, doesn't it?
1: and yeah. in turnabout and and in turnabout is fair play. Oh my god, you're right. And in turnabout is fair play <laughs> news. <laughs> um remember and I think I had a problem with this back at the end of Avengers 7 when uh Thanos killed Warlock by doing something. Um here Warlock basically pays the favor. Yes. Mm-hmm. He 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 kills he or disposes or destroys or defeats Thanos, whatever verb you want to use by doing something
0: he turns him to a stack to stone
1: yes
2: which even just in the context of this issue is made clear it's not a death it's an imprisonment
0: yeah uh, well uh, makes sense thanos is in love with death if he dies he kind of gets to see the person he loves oh
2: that's right
0: it traps him from her forever
2: if thanos dies he wins yeah he ah, wins either way.
1: Right. that
0: right. seats he wins. And if he dies, he at least still has a chance to be with her because he's heads, in her realm now.
1: Heads I win, tails you lose. And all of his people are like, oh, crap.
2: Captain America's is like, kind of reminds me of May 7th, 1945, Berlin. And are like, okay, Captain America, you, you literally were not there.
1: Yeah, That, that was exactly too. what I was about to say. I was about to say, like, wasn't he like iceberged before that? Yep. yep.
0: My no prize in my head was because I already did this when I was reading it the other day. Was well, he had a, you know, Cap had to go back and look for news reels, micro whatever
1: whatever. Absolutely, absolutely, in. he, had to go back he and find absolutely something. would have found out what happened. Yeah,
0: he had a, he had a, he's like, okay, we won, right? Okay, great. Well, now I got to find out what happened.
1: Hell, all the crap he went through in the '60s and '70s in his own comic, he probably went back to World War II and finished it out through some sort of time travel, cosmic cube, red skull shenanigans. So. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read them yet, so I cannot comment.
0: Yeah, because he couldn't talk to anybody. You know, everyone he knew was either dead or crazy or, hit. you know, missing.
2: So I have a little bit of problem with a line here right at the end. Captain Marvel is eulogizing Adam Warlock and Gamora and Pip. Gamora and Pip, their names are only briefly stated in, in the soul world one time. Uh, Captain Marvel doesn't bother with them now. He refers to the trio as him, the woman he might have loved, and his one friend. And I'm like, really? Not the warrior who fought by his side? Not the most dangerous woman in the galaxy? Nothing else she was known for? Maybe it's just because nobody flippin' knows what a Gamora is, No, but all she gets on her tombstone is the woman Adam Warlock might have loved.
1: Well, I will defend it just insofar as I don't think Captain Marvel was there for the Warlock series where Pip and Gamora were major characters, and that is... Um, in the terms of Pip being his one friend, that is literally the words that Adam used to describe them to Captain Marvel and the rest of the Avengers in the Avengers Annual.
0: Yeah, and with Gamora, exactly. They they don't be even. I mean, I'm
1: finding I'm trying to remember if they even knew her name. Right. So I. I and, I get and, I get your point, but I think from Captain Mar- from what Captain Marvel knew, I think you know all he had to go on was what Warlock told them. Those are pr- pretty almost exactly the words that Warlock told them.
0: Yeah, and I mean Gamora and him were I don't know if that would have been romantic. I mean everything I, I never read with saw Gamora, such. no everything I saw of Gamora and Adam were very much like an a, ase- they were almost asexual the fact of whatever their gender was just happened to be what it was but they were very R- romantic entanglements were like the last thing on their mind even when right. there was no
2: fighting or schemes i mean they're putting in the now? line on when harry met sally they were friends and compatriots without having any sort of romantic entanglements yes. no right.
0: especially that warlock series when the main characters were basically adam gamora pip and thanos The only one that had any interest in any kind of romantic type thing is Pip. And Pip is a complete degenerate. (laughs) He's he's the only one that cares about that. Everyone else has no, you know, they don't care. I mean, it's the thing I think, John, I said when we were on uh, Ryan Daly's show talking about Gamora. Uh Is that, you know, Zoe Saldana is basically playing pre-Gamora, except for the romantic part. That's the only thing that's different. You know, while well, Nebula is playing post-annihilation Gamora, she has a more sexual bent to her. The way she walks, the way she moves, the way she talks to people, there is a bit more of a sexual thing. Just like there is of Gamora now. She was involved with Nova. She had a fling with, uh, with uh, what's
1: it called, uh,
0: Iron Man. Yeah. You know, the flirtation much, with much, An-
1: much to Tony's regret, yeah. he couldn't hang that The flirtation with, her.
0: with Angela. That was not this Gamora. This Gamora was raised by Thanos. I mean between her being raised by Thanos and Adam basically being created by the Enclave, they had no, they had like a 10 year olds version of sexual or nine year olds version. Like it was just not in their head.
2: So you're continuing to build the point that like being her only appellation as being a possible romantic interest, that's all she is. I mean, we'll put it on Captain Marvel's shoulders because he didn't know the woman and therefore should have given her more than just, Ah, looks like she might've, I mean, were they shagging? Is that why she was there?
0: Yeah, he's he's looking at it from a male's 1977's point of view. Well, well I'm saying was, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not that's saying my point. point. Oh, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying is he, you know, that's all he's going on though. Unfortunately, I think that's all he had to go on. at It so much
2: for your cosmic moment. enlightenment, there, Marvel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he didn't know. He should have known better. No, no, she deserved more than that. But. She'll get more than that later. Plus, let's think of it, you know, gonna a scale's balance. Gamora's going to have a much longer publishing history eventually than he will.
1: I was going to say, isn't the best revenge—don't they say the best revenge is living well? Well, there you go. Who's Gamora's laughing last?
0: Gonna, yeah, Gamora's going to get that.
1: I mean, if Gamora laughed, which she doesn't, but, you know, right. metaphorically speaking.
0: And it's probably scary if she does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. You you really don't want to imagine the kind of things that make Gamora laugh.
0: I'm just thinking that Guardians of the Galaxy run. Probably the thing that scare everyone the most is of Gamora and Angela were laughing. It's like, oh crap, someone's gonna die. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Those two are gonna kill somebody. Let's get the hell out of this place.
1: And as John alluded to, I like that the last three panels of the issue. It's actually a more satisfying resolution than you often get with uh, superhero type tales because, as John alluded to, this is an imprisonment, not a death of Thanos. So he actually does, uh, as they say here, he uh, laments the waste he made of his days and weeping for a love unfulfilled. And it's like, okay we know with the benefit of hindsight that he's going to come back and get right back up to his usual shenanigans. But at that time in a world where in a world, but, uh, where supervillains so often are unrepentant, they get sent to, uh, incarceration or whatever, and they never repent of their crimes or show any awareness or any sort of regret for their, uh, for, for, for what they've done. Um, for, for this to so hit so relatively heavily on the notion that Thanos is going to be sitting there putting away, contemplating the error of his ways and feeling bad for it. I like that notion.
2: <laughs> and it's, it's worth pointing out that Master Order is totally lying here. What? Why he's okay, lying, we yes, don't know. Yes. Because, I mean, he is not destined to spend infinity trapped within the petrified form of his own corruption unless... Unless he is destined to be freed and then once again later trapped within the petrified form of his own corruption, because um, this doesn't last.
1: No, it does not. Well, he's yeah.
2: destined
0: for that. Unfortunately, you know, like in all these stories, you know, destiny. The whole point usually when someone's destined for something is usually to break that destiny. Right. Avoid I mean, so that it, destiny. sometimes like like, it's,
2: it's like from the uh, the trailers for Brave. If you could change your fate, would you?
1: Exactly. So he's so he's the what's her name from Brave. Great. I can see Thanos with that red hair. Oh, God, I did not need that image.
0: But yeah, it's like that th- th- thing they say, you know, if a story starts off with uh, this is the temple that ever, no one has ever returned from. And the st- you start off with the character going into that temple no one's ever returned from. They're probably gonna be the person that returns from it. Right. But I'm thinking of it more like, you know what? Yeah, it would have been a little nicer if Marvel had used his uh, cosmic awareness and been able to like, you know, we bury him here next to his friend who's the most dangerous woman in the galaxy and, well, Pip. (laughs) Because there's really like, what else are you going to say about Pip? And like, and um, that guy. He hung around at least. Yeah. Why, we don't know. But he hung around.
2: The connection between Pip and, and, and Adam Warlock is, well, it's unspoken.
1: It's complicated.
0: That's what Adam puts on his Facebook page.
1: <laughs> it's complicated.
2: And Pip's like, I just can't quit you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't want to. It's this is I kind of like this. But yeah, no, I, I agree. If you would have been nicer, if they had something like that. But unfortunately, I think it's the 70s. You're going to get what you can get and. Yeah, and
2: what
0: to, to, we got, got from her is what we're going to get, you know, what we got from her in the series, which, you know, the Warlock series is the best we we're going to hope for at the time.
1: And, like, let me just offer a potential alternate uh, uh, viewpoint here. This is Starlin, who has flirted with you know, various psychological and Buddhist and new agey kind of, uh, concepts in his writing before. And I can totally see him kind of thinking, well, you know, if someone was eulogizing me, I would want to be remembered for love rather than war. Hmm. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that makes it any better per se. I'm just <laughs> saying I'm just proposing maybe a an uh, an alternate approach that w- where whereby you know we need we we don't necessarily have to uh, you know wrap a, a Stalin metaphorically across the knuckles.
0: Well that, you know what so if you think about it though, that does kind of work with what he's going to do with the death of Captain Marvel.,
2: mm. which I've still not read.
1: Me either, yet Well, you will eventually
2: <laughs> Well, the, the plan um, Was to not read it Until I had read all of Captain Marvel Beforehand And then I got distracted from a 1970s Avengers reading and I don't know where I left off with my Captain Marvel reading So at some point, I'm going to have to restart Captain Marvel so I can reread all of Captain Marvel So I can read the death of Captain Marvel But Superman first
1: that is, That's oh, a good plan you. It's a good plan and I approve
2: the Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, or a purpose, or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders.
3: We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning as they face villains no other team can like Agent Orange the Force of July and the Nuclear Family <laughs> puns this is The Outcasters a Batman and the Outsiders podcast look
0: for us with The Huntress podcast on Apple Podcasts Stitcher and Spotify or listen at our website TheHuntressPodcast.com and follow us
3: on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters
1: because to live outside the law, you must be honest.
0: Okay, it is time for our feedback and also a bit of a mea culpa. But first, the feedback. And this time, our feedback is for episode 115 Spider, Spider on the Moon, where we covered Marvel Team-Up number fifty-five. So on Facebook, the post by that that episode was liked and shared by Clinton Robertson, Jesse Starcher, Chris Armstrong, Joe Smith, Justin Cobble, Hal Jordan, Jason Benable, Michael Lane, Mike Peacock, Gene Hendricks, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Robert Myers, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, the post was liked and retweeted by. We Are Venomaniacs podcast, Florencio, Les Luther, Last Sons Krypton, The Daily Rios, Ghostwriter podcast, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Doc Strange, Nexus of All Realities, Into the Night, Adeline Rising podcast, Connor McKenna, David Finn, Jason Sincompetable, Comics in the Golden Age, Dan Cosmic, Trans Lesbian Planet Eater, The Cable Guy podcast, John Reed's Comics, Jeffrey Brown, Russell Gibson, Viggy Pop, Van Allen Plexico, Clifford Riley, Dave's Cosmic Heroes Blog, Mike Morgan, and Logan, Donovan Morgan Grant, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Esteban Venezuela, Z, Daniel Kutz, Igor Olivera, Sal Buscema Punch Enthusiast, Avi Green, Raul Gomez, and Butch Mappa, Idw Marvel I just want to remind you that I do have a second show I am on, L-E-G-I-O-N P-O-D-Cast. That's a show that is covering the late 80s, early 90s DC comic Legion. Not Legion of Superheroes, but Legion, the acronym L-E-G-I-O-N. Starring Burl Dox and Lobo and a bunch of other alien characters. Since episode 117B of this show is out, we had three new episodes of the Legion podcast, episodes 11, 12, and 13, and you can find that under the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. Links for that will be in the show notes. Also, remember, this show is part of the Collective Network. The Collective Network is a group of like-minded podcasts who are banded together to network in the most traditional sense, supporting each other, encouraging each other, and promoting each other's shows. There will be a link for The Collective in the show notes, and you can find a bunch of their shows there, which include, but is not limited to, We Are Venomaniacs podcast, Into the Night, Nexus of All Realities, Ghost Rider podcast, and Last Sons of Krypton. So go check some of them out. And finally, it's time for that mea culpa. So in episode 117A, I was talking about the ad for the G.I. Joe adventure team that we did in episode 100. And in it, I said, we had the voices of Jeff and Rick from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack and Jay from J. and Miles Explain the X-Men. Two-thirds of that was true. Jeff and Rick were in there. But it was pointed out to me by Jeff and Rick that it was not Jay, it was Miles from J. and Miles Explain the X-Men that lended their voice to the ad. So, Miles, my apologies. I did not mean to say the wrong name. And thank you again for doing that. I really do appreciate it, really. Even if I can't say your name, apparently, The only thing to do, I think, is at some point, when we do something like that again, we're going to get the, we're gonna have to get Jay to actually be on it, and I'll just have to keep crediting Jay as Miles. Make it fair. Okay, and now it's time for the Friends and Enemies segment. And just in case this is your first episode in our Friends and Enemies segment, well, Adam and Thanos don't always have their own series. So we're usually talking about some other comic that does not have their name in the title. So what we do in this segment is we just check in on these on those other series and see where they are the same month as the uh, main story we're covering. Our main story this month is Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number 2, which came out in September of 1977. And so that's where we're starting with. But it's not just me. I have somebody else with me. So.
3: Are we going to go by Ren or... The moment I uh, graduated from uh, college with a degree from with the the degree in uh, astronomy from the University of Colorado Boulder. Oh, congrats! I, thank you. Um, I currently live in uh Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm uh, 23 years old, and that's um all the basic information about me.
0: That's good enough. All right, so it runs with us, and we're going to talk about these issues. So first off, we have Avengers number 166, Day of the Godslayer, by Jim Shooter, John Byrne, and Pablo Marcos, covered by George Perez, Ernie Chan, and Dan Crespi. The Nefaria Supreme Saga, the Avengers are fighting back against their most dangerous foe yet, but will their combined forces be enough to ward off Nefaria's dark magic? Our cover is, well, Nefaria in a very Superman like pose with Thor's hammer bouncing off him as the vision leaps to attack him from behind. This issue was is basically Superman versus the Avengers.
3: Hmm.
0: I mean, evil Superman. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. I mean, at least that's what it felt like because, I mean, he basically had, or more like Golden Age Superman powers. He didn't have the vision stuff, but he had being crunched, you know, the strength and the speed and the flight and all that fun stuff.
3: Yeah, definitely. Did this character appear in, like, the last issue, too? You yes. you know? Or, okay, so. I can kind of tell, like, okay, this probably was, like, a recurring storyline, so.
0: The luckily, way it began and everything. Yeah, no, luckily, we, the last issue we covered was uh, Avengers Annual 7, which came out in August 77, so I got oh. to do all the issues right before this, before these. Oh, cool. So, yeah, Thor shows up at the very last second to save all the Avengers butts.
3: Oh, Oh, and that's, okay.
0: Which explains why, if you're reading this issue, why they seem surprised that Thor's there.
3: Well, uh, the first caption here, it says, uh, moments ago, the God of Thunder had been light years away. So I I figured like he was someplace else and then they they suddenly appears.
0: Yeah, and that whole thing about Thor suddenly appearing will be um, dealt with in a few issues in the uh, Korvac saga that's coming up. Oh. Yeah, it's all explained because apparently it's not just this story, it's been a couple stories where apparently Thor has shown up magically last minute to save their butts from wherever he's been in the universe, without knowing how uh, he's gotten there. And there's actually uh, a point to it.
3: I don't know. Okay.
0: Yeah, this is, yeah the next issue leads into Jim so- Shooter's Korvac saga, which also involves the Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the old version, and pretty much every single Avenger there's ever been up until this point.
3: Oh, that's interesting.
0: It's not a bad story. The, the 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 climax is fun. They all show up to the, they all end up having to go travel by bus to fight the bad guy.
3: <laughs> yeah, that, I've I've seen stories like that where they do stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's entertaining. But I mean, it was just a big fight. But this was a, I enjoyed it at least. But what about you?
3: I, I enjoyed this issue. Um, I, it, the John Byrne did the art, so it looks very good. It's. Very uh, dynamic. you okay, yeah, but like a bunch of really good fights. Very good fight scene between uh, Nefaria and Thor is especially very good. Also, like the smaller moments with the vision, uh, with the wasp. Uh, definitely uh, feels like something maybe will make a lot more sense within like a running storyline because some, like, they do explain, like, they have like the, you know, the captions that say, uh, see issue 6, one sixty 160, six 166, something like that, so.
0: Yeah, uh, this is, like, the last part of, like, a tour, like, I think it was a th- the ending of a three-part story, at least.
3: Definitely feels like that, um, it's, uh, Nefaria's background, uh, is it, was it revealed in this issue, or was or is there parts missing? It's, like, there's a panel here on page, uh, 15, it says on here, uh. Right. like where he's in a laboratory and then he suddenly
0: like gains powers well Neferi had appeared before he's part of the magia oh if you know what that is
3: i vaguely remember that. it's
0: marvel's mafia but thinly oh. veiled because either they don't want to use the mafia because i don't know they're either worried about getting sued or shot or something i'm not sure which who knows yeah. But he was just some kind of like mob boss. He dealt with the original X-Men a few times with like by hiring other criminals to work for him. And if oh, okay. you've ever read uh if you know anything about the uh I don't know how much X-Men you've read, like from like especially I've never like read
3: years. this I've read some here and there. Um well, uh, well mostly like the big stories like God loves man kills like that that sort of big stuff.
0: Uh have you ever read Giant Size Number One? A yeah, yeah, ago. yeah.
3: A very long time ago.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you know how Thunderbird was a member of the team, and then after Giant Size, they went to they started their numbering up with ninety-four again, and Thunderbird dies two issues later.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nefarious fault.
0: Oh. Hm. He's the one who killed Thunderbird. Uh. And in the issue before, Beast is pretty pissed at him for that.
3: Yeah, yeah. He appears in this issue briefly. Was he he was a member of the Avengers at this point, right? Or...
0: Oh, yeah. He had been a member for a few years now. Because even during the Dark Phoenix story, he's part of the Avengers. Oh. He just happens to be... the they conveni- Conveniently, when that's happening, he's the only member of the Avengers at the mansion to respond to the call when there's stuff going on, which turns out to be the X-Men versus the Phoenix. Oh. All right, well, at least it worked out as a single issue because I was just curious because I know Jim Shooter has said a lot. It's one of the things he... Always harps on is like every issue should be like have enough for everyone to read. You know, sometimes you know to like pick up and just see know what's going on. So I'm always curious then if someone's going to pick up one of his single issues that they don't, and they don't know what's going on. Well, did he give them enough?
3: I, I'd <laughs> say it's, I'd say so. Yeah, Um it's if there's some parts that are a little bit confusing, but as like a standalone story, I kind of understand what's happening. What like who? What's happening? Who is talking to who? What? why they're doing this, so. Okay,
0: so he did enough of that. Okay, I, I'm always curious when people keep harping on about doing something, telling everyone else to do something, I'd like to see if they actually did it. Yeah. All right, I think we can move on to Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, number
3: 189, The Torch That Was, by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Joe S- S- Sinat. Uh, cover by Keith Pollard, Frank Joe Gio- Sia and John Costanza fighting fire with fire Johnny is confronted by the original Human Torch and engages in a heated battle meanwhile AI Quasimodo longs to be human but is fated to be
0: and this is a reprint of Fantastic Four Annual Four because this is one of the times I guess where the as they called it back then the dreaded Deadline Doom hit and they were obviously did not have an issue ready so they had to put in an old story, which yeah. is why it's a Stan and Jack one still.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Because I think at this point Kirby was back at Marvel, but I believe he, and but I believe he, he was did doing it. the other stuff.
3: He did. It. Um. So when he returned to Marvel, he didn't want to do uh, Fantas. He wanted to just do his own things. So like he wanted to do the Eternals. He wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, Black Panther. Or like uh, Devil Dinosaur, like he wanted to do that. So he didn't really want to return to the Fantastic Four or Thor. Yeah, he kind of he and um I believe uh, Roy Thomas they compromised. So he did like a few covers and then um an issue of What If where um the original Marvel bullpen uh, became the Fantastic Four. Oh, but...
0: that's right. I read that one.
3: Yeah. So that was when he returned to Marvel. Was... I think that was like the only like full Fantastic Four related thing
0: he did. Kirby doesn't go backwards. No. I mean, I guess Captain America is the closest.
3: Well, yeah, he did Captain America, but that was sort of more standalone stuff. And that was after, like, the famous um, Engelhard run. and
0: Yeah, but at least this time also he's fully writing it. He's not just, you know, so at least it's something a little different.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: But this one, I, I, I like the original Human Torch. I always felt sad that, like, they kind of just knock it. It seems like he in the back then he always got just brought back briefly, killed, and that's it.
3: I, I like the way he's, uh, I like the way, like, he, in this issue, like, he's drawn very differently from uh, the Johnny Storm, the way the lines are arranged, um, the way, like, he's colored differently, He has flame, the way the flames come off his body is a lot different.
0: Yeah, he looks if you were going to just if someone who didn't know anything about comics was to look at them, he's the one that would look more like a man on fire.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Johnny almost definitely. looks like a, a guy without skin half the time.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. There, he looks like a must you ever see like one of those museum exhibits where they just have like all the human muscles.
0: Mhm. Exactly like that. Yeah. With just some fire around him, but the, the original human torch, yeah, he looks like a guy on fire. I, I will like the fact that John Byrne will bring him back in Avengers West Coast years later. And he had a good story arc in, what was that? All new Avengers, all new invaders. Oh. He ends up saving a, a speedball cat from being, ex- experiment, <laughs> from being experimented on. Because the cat had the same abilities as speedball. And the scientists were like, well, I guess we're just going to, you know, dissect the cat. And he's like, no, I'm going to take it home. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, I like that, him a lot.
3: That's really nice.
0: Yeah, it's like it maybe like him even more.
3: This issue gave me like a uh, connected of something. So a while ago, I read uh, the uh, first collection of Silver Surfer stories. Mostly stuff from the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and uh a couple of things are connected here, like um uh, Johnny and Wyatt Wingfoot uh, their return from the I think I think it was the like Himalayas they were journeying in.
0: Okay, yeah, looking for the Inhuman, trying to get to the Inhumans.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, the big, their big uh, bulldog is there in this issue briefly.
1: Yeah, um, the other God. thing
3: was, um, so one of the issues had um the Silver Surfer encounter Quasimodo as a, but I didn't know his whole deal until this issue. Like, I didn't realize he was supposed to be a computer.
0: Uh, uh, oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. I think I've read that issue, yeah.
3: Yeah, the Silver Surfer, like, comes in and then he brings Quasimodo to life and then they wreak havoc before it's like he's forced to uh, deactivate him
0: because he's an evil computer yeah (laughs) because the mad thinker because well uh, the mad mad. thinker (laughs) the mad thinker he's he's like not as good as clock king from batman (laughs) 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 he always gets defeated the same way it's always that x factor of I did not expect this it's like it always happens Should just just rob banks don't deal super don't deal superpower people they're always going to be your problem just rob banks steal the cops you're fine there
3: <laughs> it was kind of weird like he didn't think that the human torch would just turn on him at the end like i don't know
0: <laughs> what's that line i know you weren't a fan of the show but what's that line from the first episode of firefly
3: curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> big shocker yeah <laughs> uh mad thinker will you never learn yeah <laughs> no all right well, let's move on next up we have incredible hulk number 218 the rhino doesn't stop here anymore by len ween roger stern keith pollard george tusker and ernie chan Covered by Ernie Chan and John Costanza. Doc Sampson and the Rhino exchange blows when Rhino unleashes terror on public transportation. But will Samson be able to subdue his foe without the help of his allies? You know, I just read this a couple days ago and I'm trying to remember what happened. <laughs> I, I I kind of remember. The big
3: thing for me, Uh, I don't know who Doc Samson is, so that was like a big... I, I couldn't quite figure out what his uh, deal was.
0: Yeah, he's a... Uh, Banner psychiatrist who ended up getting gamma oh. powers.
3: Oh. Oh, okay. That's why he's starting to look for the Hulk.
0: Yeah. He basically is the guy they always bring in whenever they want to have a psychiatrist for superheroes. They always bring in Doc Samson. Ah. Oh. If you ever want to read X Factor 87, it's a. It's one of the best issues of that series. Most people, even people who don't like that series, agree it's one of the greatest issues. And it's all him talking to all the members of the team after a big battle. Especially the way it does Quicksilver.
3: Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting.
0: Like, everyone just thought Quicksilver was just a jerk. And then after that, so many people could identify with Quicksilver. His basic thing is like, have you ever been in a line behind somebody who can't use an ATM machine? Or behind the line of somebody who can't understand Whopper No Pickles? It's like, that's my entire life. Every thought, uh, every second. It's like, so yeah, you would be a little testy too.
3: <laughs> I'll have to read it sometimes. It seems really interesting.
0: It's a good issue. But yeah, Doc. that's Doc Samson. So he fights the rhino.
3: Yeah, I know, I know the rhino from, uh, it, it, I know him as a Spider-Man villain, but. Uh, yeah,
0: that's how he started.
3: And, yeah, but. I, I do know, like he and the Hulk have also had their encounters. I don't know if the, this is the first time or anything.
0: And uh, they, I'm pretty sure they fought several times already.
3: Weird I thing, just... the Hulk doesn't. It's also like the battle between Doc Samson and uh, the and the Rhino. Like the Hulk doesn't really appear in this. It, it appears like once or uh, two, like once with like some fishermen, but like that's it.
0: Yeah, I, I actually, it's funny. I actually remember the issue before more than this one. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I guess this one just didn't stick in my head for some reason.
3: It's just not really that good. It's, a, it's just kind of, like... It's mostly, like, the fight between uh, Samson and the Rhino, and then there's not really much else. It's just... And the whole, like, you know, he's not... He doesn't really have any involvement with the main story. He just kind of pops in to... Scare some fishermen, and then that's it.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense, because I know at the end of the last issue, he had a friend who turned out to be a mermaid that he brought back to the ocean so she wouldn't die. Wait, really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was an issue where he uh, was fighting the circus of crime. Ah. Which is like, okay, so the Hulk basically is going to beat them up because it's the circus of crime. (laughs) 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 What are they going to do? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of those issues that's like, okay, did its job. It was an issue, but nothing spectacular. At least, you know, as far as I was concerned.
1: I'm I sure like some... the
3: art. Yeah, I like, I like the art, though. The art, the art's pretty good. Uh, but George, Tuska, and uh, someone else's
0: credit, I don't mind. Uh, I have Ernie Chan here, so he probably was the inker.
3: Yeah, okay, Ernie Chan. I especially like the scene where he uh, stops the train, and then uh, mo- most of the fight scenes between him and the rhino are pretty good.
0: Oh, that's right. I remember him stopping the train. Okay. Yeah, and he, then he stops. He doesn't go after the rhino because he's going to try and help all the people that were hurt. Yeah. Okay, I remember something at least. Well, oh, we can move on. So, this is
3: Iron Man number 105, Every Hand Against Him by Bill Mantlo, George Tuska, and Mike Esposito. Cover by Dave Cockrum, Terry Austin, and John Costanza. The Invincible Iron Man, challenged by the combined mind of the Guardsmen, the Wraith, and the Jack of Hearts. It's time for the ultimate showdown. Okay, and the cover is, let's see, Iron Man presumably fighting the Jack of Hearts, the Wraith, and the Guardsmen.
0: Yeah, I have never even heard of the Wraith until now.
3: I vaguely knew him, like, I, I think I might have gotten confused from the Dire Wraiths from uh, the Rom Space Knight.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. I'm assuming he has nothing to do with them, but I have no idea. Yeah. For all I know, they retcon it later on, and he does. No idea. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, this is my first time ever hearing of this character. Um, I know Jack... Jack of Arts was
3: another... I think another Spider-Man villain. I might be I might be wrong on that. I'm...
0: He might have been at, at times. I know he's also been an Avenger. Oh. But at this point, who hasn't? <laughs> but he was an Avenger before that you know before spider-man or wolverine joined so yeah he was before that at least one thing i have to say about iron man this issue and the issue before it is this everyone talks about like spider-man is the one that the character that had like the whole big thing with this you know like the quote-unquote soap opera elements and a lot of the supporting cast but this issue and last issue my god iron man is like up, trying to compete for the soapiest comic
3: yeah definitely it's There's like a I lot of
0: angst in this issue yeah, it's like, I want to check, like, did Menlo write for, like, days of our lives at General Hospital back then or something? Because this feels like it could have been, like, a superhero version of, like, a soap opera. I mean, not not saying, not a criticism, it was entertaining. It made me want to read more of these Iron Mans, but...
3: <laughs> it was definitely interesting, like, especially, the opening is, like, especially, like, uh, you know, it, it was very angsty, like, very psychological.
0: Yeah, and the issue before was even more soapy and more... Everyone's staring off and having deep thoughts and <laughs> all angsty. One thing I was entertained by now, I don't know if it was intentional or not, because I don't know, you know, like when you learn stuff about characters and then later on you go back and read stuff, you don't know, like, wait, is this stuff that was revealed or read that I know that was revealed later on or is this stuff that was revealed earlier? But Madame Mask in here? Yeah. Her father is Count Nefaria. Ah. Oh. So, kind of fun that they're both appearing at the same time. Although, you're missing issue, one, too bad you didn't, we, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't here for 104, where the Iron Man and her kiss, and they're both wearing their their masks. <laughs> That's awkward.
3: It's like, how does that work? Oh, they have, like, the little, at uh, least Iron Man has, like, the little face hole, like, the mouth <laughs> hole there, so... Maybe there's something there, but I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. It's just it's just either a disturbing image or just the most comical thing ever. Yeah. But yeah, this was fun. They're trying to get Iron Man off his butt so they could uh, get him to get his company back.
3: Yeah, it no, was a lot of fun. I like oh, yeah. the uh, short appearance by uh, Nick Fury.
0: Mm hmm. And Jasper sit well because Jasper's in love, as revealed last issue, Jasper's in love with Madame Mask. Uh
3: yeah, yeah, they they bring that up briefly.
0: Yeah, and a very different Jasper from uh, the MCU, if you've seen the movies.
3: I yeah, I've seen the movies, and I don't really remember what where he comes up.
0: I'm pretty sure, if I'm right about him, he is the shield agent that we see the most besides in the movies after uh, Coulson, quote unquote, dies, and that oh. is revealed to be in and Winter Soldier. He's the one that goes hail Hydra oh that okay yeah yeah let's see if i can pronounce his name right maximiliano hernandez oh the act okay that's the actor's name that plays him just one
3: final thing i was like the last part it was really um it was kind of jarring like especially since they bring up uh, nazism and the holocaust and
0: oh yeah that's this issue
3: it was a bit weird like they just kind of bring it up and then like, right right after, like, you have this, like, big supervillain fight and, like, this, then they sort of bring it up.
0: Yeah, I forgot that was this issue. Yeah, that was a weird, that was a little weird touch to the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to Marvel Premiere number 39, Ride a Wild Rocket, by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown, and Al Milgram, covered by Al Milgram and Irv Wantanabe. Blast off with Torpedo. Want to learn all about Brock Jones and his remarkable abilities? Start with this explosive issue. And our cover has the Torpedo blasting through a bunch of goons in green outfits with jetpacks with a lot of cover blurbs. <laughs> because you demanded it, America's Marvel's greatest new hero in his first feature length action pack saga. This is the big one, all explosive issue.
3: I'll say this. I really like uh, the torpedo's design or yes. at least it looks kind of interesting, like the, the gloves and the parallel with the boots and the fact that they have like the, the film canisters on them. Like,
0: Yeah. And I will say this. I was thinking about this before earlier tonight. So I thought this issue was really well done. It was a really well crafted issue. The story is really good. It's you know tells you everything you need to know. Even though I didn't read those, I never read those Daredevil issues, but I was able to follow from what they were talking about. Uh-huh. And the story, you know, the storytelling was done excellent. And it's going to be the reverse of an issue we're going to talk about, not the next one, but the one after that. In that, it was done excellently about a character that I really don't care about. Yeah, I, I didn't know.
3: I, I thought this was maybe like an introduction, since they mentioned like briefly mention his like backstory and everything, like him being a pro football player or something and
0: But it was like I'm like I'm reading going, okay, um, it's really well done, but I could you put somebody, could we have done somebody else instead? Because I really don't care about Brock. Yeah. I I feel a little bad for him because all his all his insecurities are gonna come true because he's really not gonna go anywhere and eventually gonna just I think he dies. <laughs> <laughs> so all his insecurities are gonna, gonna come true. He's not going to really amount to much as a superhero.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never heard of him before I read this. And I so thought he, it was... So, sorry, go so on. he appears in uh, Daredevil? Uh, apparently. Yeah, okay, yeah. Some of the liner notes, they say uh, Daredevil number 130, like here. This panel, yes. Daredevil 131.
0: Yeah, we probably... I probably missed those issues when we're doing this uh, sequence, because Daredevil is in our list of issues to do, but Daredevil at this point was uh, bi-monthly oh okay which is why there's no daredevil this time because it's monthly so yeah it it, it was last month so skips this one but um so i must have missed those daredevil issues but yeah i mean it was well done but i don't care although i was a little weirded out with the thing with his wife like i thought at first the way she was talking to the doctor i thought like she was you know hooked on something the way she's like i need it like she was, you know, he did some kind of, you know, she was hooked on some kind of pills or something, but no, she's just pregnant.
3: Yeah. I, I sort of got that of, at least from like the way they portrayed it, like usually in media, that's how it goes. Um, yeah. Like, like you said, like all it's mostly, the, the issue is mostly very good It as um, good art. Um, one of my, uh, Al Milgram, who, whose work I really liked in um, Omega, the unknown. Uh, he, I think he does the inking in this.
0: Yeah, he does a lot of inking also. We, we've dealt with Milgram a lot because he does a lot of inking for uh, the Captain Marvel issues by uh, Starlin. So we've covered oh. him a lot in this show.
3: Yeah, at the end of the day, I don't really... I, I, I have no desire to really see this character, uh, his, his further adventures.
0: You apparently were not the only one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> he probably had these two issues and he had a couple random appearances, I know, and that's pretty much it for the torpedo. And I don't know what happened to him, but I know in the 90s in New Warriors, there's a character called Turbo who has his costume. And I don't remember what they said about how she got it, but I think he died.
3: The fact that I'm reading about him in it was Marvel Premiere, not like his own, probably indicates something.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it was their tryout book. Obviously, it didn't work out for him. Yeah. But Marvel Premiere did work out for our next character. Not Spider-Man, the other one, in our next issue, which we might as well, I guess, go to now. Marvel team-up number 64,
3: If Death Be My Destiny, by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Dave Hunt, covered by Dave Cockrum and Dan Crispy. With Iron Fist down for the count, it's up to Spider-Man and the Daughters of the Dragon to eliminate Steel Serpent. Misty Knight and Colleen Wing kick serious kung fu tail as they track down Iron Fist's worst foe with Spidey's help. Well, Iron Fist received the powers of the dragon once again? Uh, another John Byrne issue. Um, here, this cover features uh, Spidey, Iron Fist, and the Daughters of the Dragon biting uh, when I um, Deal Serpent.
0: I almost missed Iron Fist on there. I'm looking going, wait, where's Iron Fist? And I realize he's down yeah. in the bottom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, there he is. Another uh, really good uh, Dave Cockrum cover with the fighting and everything.
0: Yeah. My only complaint about this issue was not enough Garters of the Dragon.
3: Oh, yeah. They they were very interesting. I would have loved to have seen more of them.
0: Yeah. In fact, I think Misty had more to do in the issue before when the team up was officially Spider-Man and Iron Fist. Oh. Yeah. Misty's undercover and hears about Iron Fist about to be killed and just basically takes down the guy she's supposed to take down, knocks out a bunch of his guys, jumps off his boat, you know, steals a speedboat, heads out to save them. Huh. Oh yeah, she's very much like action hero in that in that issue. This one, uh, they didn't get as much to do, unfortunately.
3: Yeah, yeah, that was my biggest thing. Like, they they all seem like very interesting characters, and I would have loved to have seen them more, and especially like towards the end, is when Spider-Man is fighting the Steel Serpent. But
0: I like Misty Knight; she was a lot of fun here, and I mean. Colleen's good too, and I like the fact that because and apparently Claremont liked him because when because this is what because like I said before a minute ago about Marvel Premiere was good because that's where Iron Fist if you know or not I don't know but in case anyone listening doesn't that's where Iron Fist first appeared he had like ten issues in Marvel Premiere and then he had his own ongoing series that lasted fifteen issues and then showed up in this two parter because it kind of ties up his dangling plot threads. And this is before yeah. he teams up with uh, Luke Cage.
3: Oh uh, yeah, I was that was about to ask. Um, it's not really a bad issue necessarily, especially with um, uh, Spider-Man and the way like he kind of tries, and the way he's kind of overpowered in this situation. Similarly, yeah. like a, a John Byrne story, like there's a lot of his stuff in there, like the like the Kirby crackle, the mm-hmm. like the large uh, panel layout, like the. Sorted panel layouts and like the very expressive fight scenes.
0: This was basically using these team-up books, which they used them a lot for when characters had like their books canceled. They kind of would put them in, you know, this one or Marvel two-in-one to kind of help finish up their stories. Oh yeah. Because at least here you can kind of excuse not doing too much of Spidey, let's say, and focusing more on Iron Fist and his story because it's a team-up book. It's expected. Oh yeah. You know, if you did this in Amazing Spider-Man, people might get more annoyed.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: You know, it's like, well, where's Mary Jane and where's Jonah and where's, you know, Flash and all those people?
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I... Definitely works in that. And um...
0: I did like, I have to say, I do like Davos better in the Iron Fist TV series. I like, no, the, actor, I, I like, I... I like the actor that played him.
3: Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Um...
0: Sasha Dewan. Oh, okay. He plays the character Davos in here. Um, oh, I didn't the know Steel that. Serpent. Yeah, Steel Serpent. I don't. Oh, I didn't know this. I don't know. Do you watch Doctor Who at all? Sometimes. If you've watched the more recent episodes, he plays the Master most recently. Oh. Within the last yeah. year, the one against Jodie Whittaker.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I liked him a lot as Davos in that TV on the Netflix show. It was. Uh, it wasn't so much a straight up I hate you thing already. It started off as friendship and. Got soured.
3: Yeah, that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize he was the master. I, I'm still behind on Doctor Who. I've, yeah. I don't watch TV anymore on TV. It's all streaming, so I haven't had a chance to watch the new, the new season yet. But, yeah. Um, that even makes me more interested now that he's, he's playing the master, because I like him. All right, well, let's <laughs> we'll go on to our next one, which is Marvel 201 number 34, A Monster Walks Among Us by Marv Wolfman, Ron Wilson, and Pablo Marcos. Covered by John Buscema, Klaus Janssen, and Dan Crespi. The things adventure across the Atlantic Ocean continue. This time, he pairs up with Nighthawk to defeat a monstrous menace. But is this strange creature truly as menacing as it looks? And we have some kind of big, scary-looking monster with tentacles coming out of its head and tusks, holding a little girl in one of its tusks and Nighthawk in another with the thing standing in front of it, stopping people from shooting at them. Saying, don't hurt it no matter what, or we're all doomed.
3: Shocker of the year.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is the reverse, I thought, for Marvel Premiere. I like the characters. I like Nighthawk enough, and I really like the thing. Yeah. But I thought this wasn't really that well told a story. I mean, uh, it's yeah. things seem to just jump into happening all of a sudden. Like, well, there's one no thing transition. I heard,
3: um, Marv Wolfman, I think, really hated doing the, like, like these team-up books, like the Marvel 2 ones the Marvel team-ups, he, he apparently hated doing them, and like, I kind of tell like he wasn't really trying with this. He, he was just trying to get the story out as quickly as he could.
0: Well, that, I can believe that definitely, because, yeah, I thought, like, oh, this is the reverse of Marvel Premiere. The story wasn't really that well done. It kind of didn't fully make sense, but I like the characters a lot. It's like, could we have put them in Marvel Premiere? Because I would have enjoyed that a lot more then. Yeah. And, of course, the The monster, what a twist, is a good guy. I I, I mean, we don't know anything about it. I don't know if we ever learn why it's here.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we never learn why it's here. Like, it's changed to, like, being good. It it, kind of comes suddenly, like, sort of neutral. Like, it's kind of scared towards the middle, but, like, afterwards, it just sort of... Afterwards, it just kind of runs around, and then it saves those two children at the very end.
0: I mean, they're tying it in. They don't say it outright, but they're tying it in with the uh, the the, the uh, comet or the asteroid that fell that uh, hit uh, in Tunguska, Russia, in Siberia in 1908.
3: Yeah, they mentioned
0: that. Yeah, but they just briefly mention it. So I guess here it's supposed to be a, It was supposed to be a spaceship, which um, I know a lot of stories have used that as a, the cover for it, since it's a still kind of considered a slightly mysterious event. So it's convenient also, to use a spaceship, you know, say it's a spaceship. I'm sure Ancient Aliens have said it's a spaceship plenty of times.
3: Yeah, plenty of times. Uh, some uh, some have said like it was like an experimental electric weapon by Nikola Tesla. That's like one account I've read.
0: Oh, there we go. That works. <laughs> Why not?
3: Uh, Deathlock appears in this issue. He's not, he doesn't really do much. I'm guessing this ties into something next issue, but
0: yeah I'm guessing he fought Deathlock last issue. I don't know because yeah he they fix him up and Nick Fury shows up again to take him
3: <laughs>
0: was deathlock
3: still being i I know he like m- debuted around this time was he still having an ongoing series at this time or
0: I'm not sure, so I'm checking him right now. let's see I mean I know he was in amazing adventures' I'm pretty sure that was his. No oh no, that was that was Killraven. Ah f- first appearance, Astonishing Tales twenty-five, August seventy-four. So probably by this point, probably not. Okay, so since I know his stuff, I don't know exactly how long it lasted, but I know it didn't last that long. That's three years uh-huh. before this. So probably at this point he was just appearing as a plot device. Cause my first introduction to Deathlock was Way back in the day for me, we're talking, like, late 80s, one of the earliest things I... Don't know how I got it. It was an early trade called the Project Pegasus Saga, which is, like, a story from Marvel 2-in-1. I
3: I actually have a trade of that. I Okay. You know what I'm talking uh, about, then. Yeah, I'm familiar with the story of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, he shows up in one issue as just a mindless attacker.
3: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. that. That was sort of my impression of the character, too, up until, like, I read more about his, like... The various incarnations, like uh, the original, and then the Dwayne McDuffie version,
0: and then and then there was they brought the original. I think it was the original back for uh, Uncanny X Force. I guess they figured, hey, let's time with the X Men. Works for everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> it worked for Captain Britain. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this wasn't that. Yeah, I was disappointed because I like the thing, but.
3: I, I like the thing, too. I do like these team-up books, but, yeah, it's it's clear, like, he wasn't really trying with this, or clear like, he didn't, really didn't want to do it, and just kind of tried to get it out as fast as he could.
0: Yeah. That, I can believe that. That makes perfect sense to me. All right. Oh, we have one more, so take us home.
3: All right. Thor number 266. So Falls, The Realm Eternal by Len Ween. Walt Simonson and Tony does the Zuniga cover by Walt Simonson, Joe Sinat and Dan Crispy. It's a body snatching battle. When three m- men try to inhabit one body whose spirit will be to belong to belong to the destroyer.
0: It's another uh, big battle issue. We, we start with a big fight issue. We end with a big fight issue. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so this was a, Apparently, before uh, Walt Simonson's uh, iconic run on uh, the
0: yep. Thor, I didn't know he until I we got to these issues. I did not know he drew Thor before that because that's like a uh, Thor three thirty seven is when he starts. Yeah, so, so this is a so while it's like before.
3: Some, yeah, so it, it's very. It seems very early for him because it doesn't look like his like more famous work, like the you know. Um, he,
0: yeah, no, I'm going to assume it's Tony D. Zanuga's influence on that because I've read stuff he did in the 70s for like DC, and that definitely looks way more like Simonson than this does.
3: Yeah, this, this looks more like uh like uh John Bushima or uh the what's see, or like uh or like Rick Buckler more than like uh oh, well, there there's uh, elements of his there, but like yeah, it doesn't look like his stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering if either it's Tony D. because I don't think it said pencils and inks. I think it's more like start, you know, like he just finishes or something. So the question is how much of it is Simonson? Or maybe he was being told, because I know like after Kirby left at a time, they were telling people draw this like Kirby would or draw like Romita. So I'm wondering yeah. if maybe they were telling him, draw this this way.
3: Definitely feels like a lot more um, house style.
0: Exactly. I mean, I was entertained by it still.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, so, it's so very good. It's still, like, you know, he still knows how to do fight scenes very well, especially, like, at the beginning with him and that big uh, armored...
0: Yeah, the destroyer.
3: Yeah, the destroyer.
0: It, it's one of the things I did have an issue with. It, it kind of exemplifies one of the things I had an issue with uh, some of the Thor movies in the fact that, like, when you're doing Thor, if he's going to be in Asgard, because they're all heroes... It yeah. kind of it has to kind of be almost like a team book. You know, you can maybe make Thor the best, you know, like Wolverine and the X-Men if you want to, or like, yeah, they're going to give Wolverine most of the stuff to do, but the X-Men are still on the team. You know, they're not all just going to sit at home and wait for Wolverine to save everything. They're going to do stuff. It's like the uh-huh. Warriors 3 are going to do stuff. Sif's going to do things Balder, you know, they're all going to get involved. So like when they do stuff in Asgard, so like when they do the movies, it's like, at least in the first movie, they took them, you know, in the last movie, they took them away. Yeah. But when you have them in Asgard, you kind of have to have them doing things. Otherwise, what's the point? You might as well just not have them be there at all. And at least here, they gave them stuff. to. Everyone had their own things to do, which I liked. Thor thought the Destroyer. The Warriors Three went after to find Odin. Carnilla went to go rescue Balder and fight Loki. And I always like when they get screwed by their own plans. When Loki's like, oh, crap. Balder saw me hit his girlfriend. He's pissed at me now. I got to get him out of that armor before he kills me. Although I must say Loki before the movies really was not that interesting to me. He just kind of always kind of seemed like I'm evil because okay. I'm evil. Who are you still there? Or did I lose you? Hello? Hello again.
3: Yeah. We're real. Sorry about that. Yeah. I forgot to charge my phone and then ran out of battery. It happens. Yeah. Anyway,
0: you were saying about the Thor movies? Oh, about Loki? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, for me at least, Loki beforehand was never that interesting to me. He always was just, I'm evil because I'm evil. (laughs) And now, you know, after the movies at least, there always seems to be more depth and reason to him. I can get the sibling rivalry thing that brings him, you know, causes him to do this, as opposed to, I'm evil because I'm (laughs) evil.
3: One interesting thing, I uh, recently read this very good biography, uh, this comics biography of Jack Kirby. I have the, the Kirby imitator named Tom Scioli. Oh, okay. I
0: think I learned, I see.
3: Um, apparently the dynamic between Thor and Loki was based on Stan Lee and his brother Larry Liber. Hmm. So that, so that was, or at least like from uh, Kirby's perspective, that's that's what he kind of based that dynamic on.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that that does bring more to it to me. I never knew that.
3: Yeah, I I didn't either until I read it. I I like this issue. It's, you know, Walt Simonson's still a very good artist, especially in, like, the fighting scenes and, like, especially big, expressive canvases and uh, locations. Oh, yeah. I like the way (laughs) Odin shows up at the very end to put a stop to things.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Daddy came home and is going to stop you two from fighting yeah he <laughs> yeah, he seems
3: to do he, he does that a lot like even in like the earlier issues
0: oh yeah yeah he just kind of he lets the, it's like okay i'm gonna let them fight for a little bit all right I, this is enough i'm getting annoyed now <laughs> <laughs> damn it kids shut up i'm trying to watch tv yeah <laughs> you've now got too loud now i have to do something about it go to yeah. your rooms <laughs>
3: I always like the design of Odin and the Marvel Universe, like the big crown he has and the the armor. It always looks very nice.
0: Oh, yeah. It's very ornate. It's very much, very godlike, very pa- pagan godlike.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know, it's like you could believe that this is Odin, ruler of the gods. Yeah, for sure. No, it definitely was still an entertaining issue. I mean, just because Loki isn't at this time is my favorite character... Doesn't mean that this wasn't a good issue. It was a good plan of his. And like I said, I do like the comeuppance he gets, <laughs> you, know, you know, twice because he put Balder in the armor and then because he, you know, wasn't able to get Thor, beat Thor to the armor. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't get to see Thor get the snot kicked out of him as much as you do like in this issue. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is down. I mean, he, he is beaten in this issue bit of a different side for him, at least.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's always more interesting when he, like, has to deal with, like, a massive overwhelming threat.
0: Yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, you gotta find something, because, I mean, Thor is so powerful, they gotta make sure, you know, if they want to do something that's that dangerous to him, you gotta have something that powerful. Definitely. Which is why the Destroyer works. Because apparently the only one that can has a remote control for that is Odin. (laughs) All right. Well, that was our issues for this episode. So thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank Hopefully you for, for you too. This was
3: very enjoyable and it was a lot of fun to read the issues. I'm
0: good. Glad. All right. Well, is there anything you want to plug or tell people where to find you or go ahead? This uh, is your time. My uh,
3: Twitter handle is uh, Ren Chandler for um, you. You can mostly find me there. I tweet lot about comics or and occasionally i tweet about them um, stuff like movies astronomy uh obscure science fiction or television shows i'm, I'm currently watching uh it's again the uh, twitter handle ren chandler r-e-n uh, under underscore, underscore chandler for and you can also find the link to my uh, blog where i mostly review movies um at the moment, I am doing a, a retrospective of the Universal Monsters. Uh, my blog nice. is, is on, It's also on Blogspot. It's uh, confessionsclutteredmind.blogspot.com. So you can check me out at either of those places.
0: And links for both will be in the show notes, people. So in case you missed how to spell it, don't worry. You just have to click. All right. All right. Well, thanks again. And Thank I'll you see again. You online anytime. Take care. August is Zorro
3: month here at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. To celebrate the 101st anniversary of Zorro, we here at Fire and Water are producing several episodes celebrating the fox and his appearances in various media.
2: First up is The Mirror Factory. We focus on where the legend began, the seminal novel by Johnston McCulley originally entitled The Curse of Capistrano.
3: Then, over on FW Presents, we'll look at El Zorro's long and storied publication history in the realm of comic books. Then on Film & Water, we'll discuss the classic 1940 film The Mark of Zorro with Tyrone Power. Then on Digest Cast, we'll get small to discuss the Zorro Comic Digest from Paper Cuts. And finally, back on FW Presents, we'll examine the classic 1950s Disney Zorro television series
2: starring Guy Williams. You can find all of these shows at fireandwaterpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So, carve
3: out some time to celebrate Zorro Month with us this August on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Wait, that's all we're doing? Why did you make me watch Zorro the Gay Blade?
0: All right, well, that is it for Marvel 2 in 1 Annual 2. Uh, Brian, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, on the issue, uh, as I said, I just want to go and reiterate, I had a lot of fun reading it. And I uh, just want to offer retrospective kudos again to Jim Starlin for getting all of the characters, not just the big cosmic heavy hitters, uh, just, right, just right enough to, to make this entire story sing, dance, and fly. And uh, thank you for inviting me to be a part of it, Al. I enjoyed it immensely.
2: Well, thank you for being part.
1: I do appreciate it. And John,
2: um, this is it. This is the final chapter in a saga that Al, you, and I started. I don't know, back in like nineteen seventy four. I don't know. <laughs> Feels like it. it. It's it's been a while, and you know, but no, it's it's been great to a revisit the issues and also b to puzzle out and come to a greater understanding of both. The, uh, the characters involved and the saga itself. Um, basically, from this point, you know, we have a, a huge old gap with just little stories here and there that lasts, what, a decade and a half?
0: Yeah, something like that. It's to like uh, yeah. 91, I think.
1: That's 14 years.
0: That is exactly, yeah. Or 90, one of the two. I forget which.
2: So, yeah, these characters sleep for a long time. They sleep so long that. Chris Claremont decides to give them a little homage. Remember those characters back in the day, Adam Warlock and the Magus. I'm going to name my characters after them because those guys were cool. And Mm -hmm. so he makes he makes Warlock and the Magus and New Mutants named after them. Oh, that's right. It was an intentional name duplication because he liked the other characters.
1: Wow. I you know what? I'd always thought about Warlock. I mean, I'm a big New Mutants fan and I'd never I had completely forgotten that Warlock's dad was called the Magus.
0: And I'm a little disappointed. We have never yet seen a team up. Although the X-Men really don't get involved with this stuff very much. That we have not yet seen Warlock meet Warlock,
2: because
0: mm. that could be fun.
2: Give it that. That could be fun in an offbeat issue where you know, the the stakes are not high.
0: Warlock and Warlock it... versus the Magus and the Magus.
2: Whoa. Warlock. Could, Warlock could be the straight man, and other Warlock could be the not so uh, straight. I don't know what the other comedy guy is called, the not straight man. Um, but
0: yeah, I don't know that either. I just realized that I don't know what the other person would be called. I the only fall have... guy.
1: Yeah, the um, uh, yeah I, I'm
2: not I'm not I'm not
1: sure. Yeah.
2: In anyway. any case, yeah. it's been a fun 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 trip. Um, I remember kind of you know inviting myself onto the show and asking you know Adam Al to, 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 to hey if, if you ever want somebody and then suddenly I'm along for the ride and it's been really really great. Oh,
0: so, I'm very um, glad you did that. It made the show better and when, gave it a more of a focus.
2: When um. I guess 15 years from now, whenever we get to the next issue, give me a call.
0: (laughs) Okay. I'll talk to you in 15 years. (laughs) It's a date. (laughs) No, just kidding. Just kidding. Folks. We, there will be another episode in two weeks and more after that, we'll be doing more stuff very soon. And we will get to that those issues in less than 15 years. I promise. All right. That's good. Wait, no, we're not done yet. Okay. We're not done yet. I forgot. People need the plug stuff. What? Yes. yes. Anything well, you, I'm not sure if there's anything you want to plug right now, Brian, but do you have anything I, you want to say?
1: I do. I do, actually. I'm just going to take this time. Uh, as always, the only thing I have to plug is my uh, Twitter feed, uh, at Kid Chiron. Um, I uh, try to be uh, entertaining and uh, mostly, uh, you know, talk about the stuff that interests me. But I do want to take this time to offer two quick thoughts, one sad and one happy. Um, sad first as John and Al and I, uh, sit here recording this episode, we are one week removed in time from the very sad loss of one of my very, very favorite, uh, performers in the world. Uh, the Japanese wrestler, Hana Kimura.
0: I saw who, you talking about that. Yes.
1: Who, uh, she, uh, she, uh, a week ago today, as we record this, she took her own life Um, after, uh, there was an incident, she, in addition to being a phenomenally talented and charismatic, uh, professional wrestler and by all accounts, an absolutely wonderful human being, she had gotten herself involved in a, uh, Japanese reality show called Terrace House that was a worldwide hit. It plays on Netflix and it was, uh, hugely popular all over the world. And she got involved in an incident with another house Member, after which she was subjected to just uh, sickening, evil amounts of abuse and cyberbullying. And oh, crap. She, that led to her taking her own life. And the entire story is just even more distressing than that. And my point isn't all to bring you all down. My point is just, you know, I'm. Still really broken up about it because the thing about her and the company she worked for, uh, World Wondering Stardom, is, you know, it's the kind of thing you love them. You're impressed with the athletic stuff they can do. But you also, you know, you just when, when you're not a sick bastard like the douchebags who did this to her. Um, you, 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 you just love them and you, you, you want them to, you know, be well and do feel a connection to them. And the fact that this happened, I'm, I'm still really bummed out about it. And so I just want to take this opportunity to say, you know, in the, in the famous words of others, just, just be kind. Don't, don't be a dick. You know, even if you, even if you, you know, hate someone or disagree with someone or think someone is bad for what they did or whatever, just, just, just be kind don't don't wish them to die because they just might and you know that's going to hurt someone so anyway that's the sadness the happiness is i want to give a strong recommendation to an indie comic that has been absolutely blowing me away lately and it is called destiny new york and it is published by i cannot remember the uh, space between comics uh, very small indie publisher. It's written by Pat Shand, who uh, whose work I first liked as uh, the writer of the Robin Hood part of the Grim Fairy Tales universe which is the only part of the Grim Fairy Tales universe I ever really loved. Um, but Robin Hood is, was an excellent book. And um, he wrote that, and he's now writing this one, and it's his own creation. own He owns it. It's uh, independent, and he has a variety of uh, artists who work with him. And it it really has that Buffy the Vampire Slayer energy. Um, and mm. I mean that in the best way. It's, it's R-rated for language and sexy business, but it is absolutely uh, delightful and and worthwhile in every way a comic can be. And I cannot recommend it strongly enough. So everyone here in this, go check out Destiny, New York by Pat Shand. And that's all I got to plug, really. That's all I got.
0: Well, John, I'm sure you don't have anything, but just in
2: case. You got podcasts, I got podcasts. You like your Marvel podcasts, I got a Marvel podcast. I got an Image Comics podcast. I got Transformers podcasts. I got all the podcasts you could like. Um... I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I have a Marvel show at Make Our's Marvel. I have a Transformers show at Return to Cybertron, covering comics and cartoons from the '80s. I have an Image Comics podcast, All the Pouches at All the Pouches on Twitter, uh, covering Image Comics from the '90s. And uh, yeah, the Marvel show has been getting some some upticks lately. It seems that there's been an increase in awareness of it, which makes me happy. So yeah, if you like Silver Age Marvel. Uh, every Friday, Mike and I put out an episode looking at some of the Silver Age Marvel comics in the order of publication. And we have just started into calendar year 1966, which means that Ditko is almost gone. Ramita is almost here. Uh, Captain America finally has his own series. Uh, the Agents of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. Are, are, are kicking around and lots of really good stuff in the high Silver Age of Marvel. Cool.
0: All right. Well, links for all that stuff will be in the show notes. And okay. Now, now we can end. <laughs> I almost forgot about doing that part. All right, guys. Go. Bye. So, <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks. We promise.
2: Bye.
1: Bye.
0: All right. free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.